turn it on and we could just pick it up from there. We got plenty of time. So plenty of yeah, space. Right. <laughs> but uh yeah, um I grew up I spent my whole life on picking them on talk. Um we uh I'm currently uh more on the Cypress Hill side of it, I guess. Cypress Hills is like this uh, small area inside of East New York. So I'm in there now. Um, but yeah, I would say 90% of my upbringing has been in East New York. I did spend some time in Queens for high school and some time in Bushwick during college. But mm. East New York before that and East New York currently. Yeah, I did. Um, I grew up. Well, I was when I when I came from DR, I was in East New York for like till I was about 11, mm. like 10, 11. Um, so I was on... I was on Elton and what is that? Elwood. Okay. Elton and Elwood, yeah, I think something like that. But at first, I was on on Cleveland and Fulton. Oh, rock on! You know, yeah. uh, you know the song uh, uh, "Blase Blase Danger." Nah. When the East is in the house, oh my God! Danger. Never heard it. Oh wow! You Never a heard it, kid. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm a youngin, bro. <laughs> nah, I'm not a youngin though. <laughs> I'm not a youngin. You know what it is? Is that like I I like I grew up in the um so I didn't you see. I grew up with my parents, and they're Dominican, so they, they came here. I was, like, two years old when we came over here, so it's, like, a lot of my shit was all Spanish music yeah, until yeah. I started picking my own music. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was in that house where, like, I couldn't just put English music on the radio. Right, right, or like right. My, you know, I couldn't touch my dad's car radio. Like, yeah. that, that wasn't allowed, and I didn't really have anyone older than me that was into hip-hop. So, right. like, my uncle was older than me, but he's a big, like, rock head. So it's, like, he would put me on to, like, fucking U2, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, and it's still dope shit music. Like that. Yeah, yeah, it's dope music. I, you know, no regrets on that. But like a lot of like mid nineties, early nineties stuff, yeah. I didn't catch it until after the fact. I, so it's like the first time I heard Reasonable Doubt, I was in like ninth grade. So it was like oh, uh, not even. I'm a, I'm a liar. The first time I heard Reasonable Doubt was the Dynasty album. So I was in like seventh, eighth grade. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So like the Dynasty album came out. I heard Change the Game. And I don't know why that song resonated so much with me. And I was like, I love this song. <laughs> so then I picked go. up Dynasty, and then I had to work backwards from there. I was like, oh, this Jay-Z guy, he's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And then worked backwards from there, went back to Reasonable Doubt. And then during the Nas beef, that's what I went backwards from there. Like, who the fuck is Nas? So let yeah, me check yeah, out yeah. this. Like, I knew Hate Me Now, obviously, but that's just, you know, that was, was like, radio, yeah, that yeah. was like the glitzy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from there, I got to go back to Illmatic and start from there. So when you told me about Blasey Blah Danger, <laughs> Never heard it at all, my brother. It is. Uh, it was probably uh, uh, like in the mid '90s. It was one of the like Brooklyn jump off songs, and it was specifically the East New York anthem. Mm. Um, that's why it says it when the East is in the house. Oh my God, danger! And the reason I bring it up is because a big portion of the video is shot at that J Train stop on oh. Fulton and Cleveland. Um, so that's why I was mentioning when you said you grew up there, like it's that's literally crazy. at that spot. I'm gonna have to check that shit out. Yeah, peep it. It's a it's a East New York hip hop like legendary video. Uh, um, Domingo, who's a, a big time like hip hop producer, he did like uh, two or three songs on Big Pun's first album. He executive produced it. Um, but yeah, it's like it's probably the most uh, direct East New York anthem song there is. Um, and it's shot right there. I'm like, gonna have to check that out. Yeah, peep. Let me go close this door and then give you a proper introduction. Let's do it up. Alright, Joe, so it was eggs on everything, and our guest today is Brooklyn's Batman, <laughs> <laughs> Gaster Almonte. My man, thanks for having me, Eggy. Yo, thanks for coming through, man. Really appreciate it. And I feel like it's like it, we already have a full head on, of steam. Like, yeah, we've been yeah, talking yeah. already, and it's like. <laughs> 
We we started on comedy and we just ended up breaking down East New York and hip hop. And yeah, he's man. an he's an ass he's an ass guy. You hear me? He's yeah. a Nas guy. <laughs> that's how much you dislike. Yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. That's no. That's that's the Dominican coming out of me. It's like the, the little Spanish voice coming out of me. I be there fucking shit up like that. Um. So, so now we got to refocus the conversation. Yeah, let's, comedy. Do it, let's do it. And I actually want to start right off the rip. You're actually the first comedian that we have on here that has a full hour together. Yeah, yeah. On Thank paper. You yeah, and you recorded it. And it's coming soon. Yeah, man. And I just want to start with your writing process. Okay, okay. Let's just start off there. Because I feel like if when you when you think about comedy, the last thing you think about is how the fuck they write this. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that <laughs> but that's where it starts, right? That's the gym. Amen. Amen. Yeah, man. Um, uh, first of all, thanks for for having me, man. Thanks for the shout out on that uh, album, Immigrant Made, coming soon. Uh, yeah, man. Um, everyone's writing process is a bit different. Um, I actually like the I purposely meet up with comics usually once or twice a month, um, just to kind of a make sure that I'm staying sharp. Uh, B um, to see what they would suggest because every comic writes differently. To your point, um, my boy Freddie G in particular is like a real setup punchline. Uh, whereas my boy uh, Jeff Zimmerman is uh, way more story centric, and I tend to lean more that way um, in terms of what I do. Most of the things that I come up with are real story based. Um, so it, it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, in terms of like my personal process, I uh, keep my phone on me almost at all times. That's why I, the second I got here, I needed you to charge my phone. Um, and the reason for that is because throughout the day, I write down every single moment that makes me have a strong feeling. Okay. So it doesn't even need to oh, be... Oh, not even comedic. Yeah, it doesn't need to be funny at all. It just If I feel something strongly, whether I'm happy, angry, frustrated, whatever the feeling is and what caused it, I write it down and I write down all the details that uh, has that that gave me that feeling, that led to it, why. I want to describe it in full. Um, and then the funny is just how I, de- how I describe that to people. Um, the second thing I do is at the end of every day... Uh, I write for five minutes, whatever was the key moment of that day for me. Um, so like, and sometimes it's simple shit, like, uh, um, my daughter for the first time, uh, did the, uh, dishes. So she like loaded the dishwasher on her own. She called me over to show me that she could do it. It's a simple task and it's not a big deal in people's life. Um, but to me it was, it was a moment that she was proud of and it was the highlight of that particular day. And I, I take value in doing that because I feel like. Um, when you look back on life, you won't, you don't remember those day to day moments. So I literally write that down every day. I got like 400 days worth at this point where I write down the silly things like, Oh, the first time I held my son's hand walking to school. Um, actually like, and I have all those things noted because you get a strong feeling from those things. And I want to write down what day it happened, how I felt. Uh, and because of that, um, I think my, my material, uh, comes off as more personal. Because I'm writing down the moments that affected and changed my life. Um, and I, I want people to remember those moments when they're, when they're listening to me doing stand-up. Um, a big part of what I'm doing, I hope I'm doing, uh, is that I'm trying to humanize uh, black and brown faces to the general audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that we're currently in this like weird uh, political landscape where there's a lot of edginess in terms of how people feel towards each other. And... I genuinely believe that we as a country could do better if we get unified. And that comes with understanding that all people have the same struggles. And so the reason that we have this separation is because we have 
a lack of understanding of what other people are going through. So I make an effort for, you know, a white Republican from Idaho to understand that a Dominican dude from East New York is still dealing with how do I raise my kid? Yeah. You know, and if I show that in my stand-up, it makes me more relatable. And it's one step closer that that person is to understanding that those people are the same as me. And if that happens, I hope that that person ends up thinking universally better about my people and makes decisions then that don't fuck me over and my neighborhood over. And thus, hopefully creates a better future for my kids so all that's to say this is a real like altruistic version of what stand-up is i yeah. get that um but uh that's that's my process yeah, that's it, what i'm thinking about when i'm writing all the time it's interesting to me because number one that whole five minute that five minutes of writing a day thing that's just good life advice like like yeah. outside of comedy like i was listening to that and i'm like damn i'm about to incorporate that into my life um especially for those days when you're feeling kind of shitty like you could always go back and be like oh shit okay i'm not Dude, everything like, doesn't go wrong dude like there's a it, it, there's a there's a there's, there was a time where like uh i wrote down specifically uh my wife had a surgery and what it felt like when i when i brought her home and the first time i made her coffee yeah and she could drink it and like it's stupid and you'll forget that memory yeah you're like it won't it won't register three years from now but you when you when you sit down one day and read through all those notes you're like yo like it, it'll trigger something yeah. And it's it's beautiful to have those memories to go back on. And it literally takes five minutes of time. It's not yeah. that crazy. Um, and then in turn, when I want material, I don't want it to be set up punchline about the news. I don't care mm -hmm. about that. I want it to be things that affected me directly um, because I feel that we all have struggles of this nature. And I want I use those moments to highlight that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's why I do that. In turn, uh, it's led to my best comedy. So for you, it starts with feelings. Uh, it doesn't. It never starts. It doesn't start with a joke. It starts it with a feeling. Starts with a it joke, starts yeah. with with a okay. Go back in your notes. You see a feeling that you felt, and then you write around that feeling, and uh, you express it in a funny way. Correct. Um, where do you think your funny comes from? Is it? Yeah. Uh, my funny comes from um years of uh Sundays going to my grandma's crib and. Uh, my dad and all of my uncles, they had this like circle where they would just sit down, talk shit, and drink beer. Um, all the women would be inside like doing their hair, like mm -hmm. Sunday Dominican household or yeah. whatnot. And all of the kids would basically be allowed to play in the front yard with my with my grandfather watching. But I wanted to be in that circle with my uncles. Mm, yeah, and, that's where all the Pepito jokes were. Right, exactly. Like, it's, all the, <laughs> the, it's the inappropriate talk. They let you rock. You know, yeah. you, if you're in there, you could curse a little bit. Somebody yeah. might slide you a sip of beer. You in, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they wouldn't let you in unless you had an equally good story. Right. You know, so they would tell funny stories. They would crack up to talk about the game. And if the kids would try to break in. They would say something stupid. They'd be like, get, get the fuck out of here. You, yeah. ain't, you ain't part of this. Yeah. But I was the first and the youngest person to slowly break that circle. Um, because I studied how they did it. Like, oh, that's how you tell something funny. That's what you highlight. I would li And it happened because I would see, like, uh, my father tell moments in the circle that I lived with him. And yeah. I'm like, when I was with you, that shit wasn't funny. That was yeah. a, it was a thing that was happening. Right. And then I would see how he would recollect it and share it with the group in a funny way. And I learned, oh, that's how you do things funny. Yeah. Um, so... Um, my funny comes from that. I'm, I'm, I, I feel that every time I perform, that I do something funny on stage. I'm paying homage to that whole Almonte Villafana family that I come from, and 
they kind of show that. Yeah, so it's like a family of storytellers without the stages and the mics. Like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like they got I mean? domino tables and beds and yeah, stuff. I, I'll put my Uncle Rosso and my Uncle Pepe and my dad up on any stage and they'll crush. I don't they'll care crush. what you said. Let's <laughs> rock any day. Um, I really liked what you said about humanizing uh, black and brown experiences because yeah. um, I saw I saw your your thing on um, This Is Not Happening. Yeah. Uh, you had the, the Brooklyn Batman bit. Yeah. And um, it, it's funny because... At the root of that bit is this whole experience with you and your cousin, you and your cousins, and they being these little badass. Right. But then when you start peeling back the layers, it's this beautiful story of parenting, bro. Like Thank it you, was man. like I was watching it, and I was like, "Yo, not for nothing." Like I'm hearing it, and it started like, "Yo, your dad tried to play you," and then it was like, ultimately, he was trying to protect you through having this like crazy experience, and I was like, "Yo." I, I never had that moment where it was like I realized some of the methods behind my dad's madness. Right. But and I'm guessing that comes from being a parent yourself. Right. I, I genuinely didn't understand what he was up to until I had my own kid. Um I've come to appreciate it since. I don't think it's a coincidence that I didn't start stand up until afterward as well. Um but yeah, I, I, I uh I'm glad you noticed. Thank you for that. That's literally what the story is. Um and even more than that, it's not just uh, dope parenting. It was community. Like, mm-hmm. my cousins were drug dealers, but they also didn't want me to do it. Like, yeah. keep in mind, like, they agreed to that plan. You know, my cousins were very much willing to be dicks and be badasses to my dad and respond. But as much as they were like that, they agreed. Like, you know what? That makes sense. You know, like, I said it in a funny way, but they did agree. Like, yeah, let's keep this, let's keep this kid out of this. Yeah, it's like so, a way of protecting yeah, it, their it, it own. Protecting you know what I mean? one of our squad. They're like, yo, this guy has a future. He's young. Um, we had to do this to do this, but he shouldn't have to, mm-hmm. you know. So um, that's what I, 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 I I'm, I'm glad, and I hope that's what's conveyed from the story that you know in this uh, environment that's quote unquote ugly that you know people are worried about that's scary that you know people know about from rap songs is dangerous. Yeah, there is that, but there's a community that is trying to get better, that is trying to improve, and is trying to do it from within. Yeah, so so you mentioned you hit the stage after after your children were born. Yeah, after your first daughter. Uh, yeah, after both kids actually. After both kids. Yeah. And what what triggered that? Like like what was the moment? Yeah. Um. Um. Actually, uh, I had a a really dope paying job. Uh, and I was a sales manager at a Fortune 500 company. Uh, and I stacked up a ton of bread and bought cribs with my dad. And very blessed that I was able to provide for my wife and kids. Um. With that said, it it took up a a ton of hours. Like it was genuinely stressful. Um, demanding and um, depressing, um, and it's something that I, I genuinely didn't enjoy the more that I moved up, um, and it started affecting my performance. Um, I decided very early on into my last promotion there um, that I wanted to improve my skill set, so I happened to see like this article in Inc. Magazine um, about a bunch of CEOs that took stand-up classes to get better at presenting in front of the groups. Um, that they had to do their job at. So I was like, oh, that sounds cool. It's a fun way, and I get to improve my skill set. So I signed up with my cousin, Diggy. We took some classes. Um, after, like, a seven-week class of uh, stand-up, um, which I'm sure most people just take for a whim, you know, like, like yeah. you know, similar to, like, wine painting classes or whatever. It's some shit to say you did. At, at the seven-week class, everyone does a class show uh, at Gotham Comedy Club in the bottom room. So we're doing the class show, um, that same day, uh, upstairs in the main room, um, TBS had uh, uh, their tour stop for uh, Sullivan and Son at the time. Um, so the whole cast was there doing their show, promoting the, the, the TV show. Um, and uh, one of the comics was downstairs looking at our performance. 
Um, so he sees me get on stage and he comes up to me. He's like, yo, that was dope. How long have you been doing stand-up for? And I'm like, uh, seven weeks. And he's like, yo, that's crazy. You know, and he walks off. Um, to me, I thought it was uh, one of my cousin's people yeah. from Bushwick thinking, oh, it's a black dude. There's only other black guy here. It's me and him thinking it's that. Um, after the show, me and my fam go next door to eat barbecue to celebrate. And the comic uh, came and found me. Like, he did his set. Asked the, the host of, of Gotham where we went. He found me, pulled me aside, and he's like, yo, listen, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a sales manager. And he's like, yo, this is your calling. You need to do this. And he breaks it down. And he tells me all this. And still I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. This is some drunk dude talking to me, whatever. Um, or this is like a low-level comic. I don't, know, I don't know jack about who this guy yeah. is. So I go home, I look him up. It's fucking uh, Roy Wood Jr. Okay. So, like, um, you know, he took, like, legit a half hour of his personal time to talk to me about it and gave me his math, and he checked in on me, like, over the next year and a half. He's like, yo, what you been doing? You been writing? Where you been performing at? Um, he took a genuine interest. I was like, and I, when I got home and I looked him up, I'm like, damn, this guy got chops. And yeah. he believes in this. So if he believed in it that much to take the time to do it, let me look into it. Um, despite that, I, I wrote, but I didn't perform at all for the whole year that he was contacting me. So, um, as the job got more depressing, um, there was a day where I was like legit, like uh, immobile in terms of work and I didn't want to go in. Um, and I spoke with my wife about it. I said, yeah, I want to resign. And, uh, I told her, I was like, listen, I, you know, we make enough for the rental income where I could take a year or two off and just relax, re, you know, reset and get a new gig. She's like, what was the last time you were happy? And I was like, honestly, a year and a half ago when I did that freaking show. So she's like, why don't you do that in the meantime and we'll figure it out. Yeah. And I was like, for real? She's like, yeah. Man, just God bless her, bro. One time for marriage, Yo, my nigga. real talk. She's a <laughs> champ. Gabby, I love you. Um, that shit is fucking incredible. I am in awe of comedians to do this shit as single people because you're alone, you're depressed, and you suck the first year and you're in a bar and they pay you in drink tickets. I don't yeah. know how comics survive that first year. <laughs> but yeah, like she told me to do it and I spent um, the whole next year, I did 250 sets. Just doing open mics and shit, and um, yeah, ever since then I've been doing jokes. Yo, that's mad funny because that's like the dream scenario right there. Like yeah. it's like, yo, I'm gonna take this seven week <laughs> class on some bullshit. Yeah. All of a sudden you got Roy Wood Junior. Like, uh, it, like, yo, son, you, you did a good job, bro. It was like, <laughs> and I'm like, yo, you see, but it, it goes back to a conversation from earlier. Like, yo, it's not always a burning bush. Yeah. Like sometimes it's just a random. Like, yo, let me take this to get better at PDF presentations, yeah. uh, PowerPoints, and then all of a sudden you got, you know, a, a, a decorated a comedian, yeah. like a legit comic telling you, yo, bro, you should pursue this shit. Yeah. And then, well, congratulations on being able to do that. I know there's Thank a you. lot of people that can't take that time off, but aside from having that time off, it seems like you actually got like a rigid structure to how you do your shit. Like, you got this five minutes yeah. every day thing, and... Let's dial back a little bit. I want to hear about your first show after dedicating to this full time. Yeah. Like, where did you hop on open mics? Were you doing barkers, bringers? Like, um, I never did the barkers or bringers thing. Um, I did a ton of open mics, uh, and I did a ton of like bar shows with other comics. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I looked at the barker situation. I felt that, uh, um, as a business person, I feel like it's disrespectful to the the comic. Uh, to have them do it. I understand it as a business structure. I don't want to shit on clubs. Right. But I, I get why they do it. I get that they can do it. I think it's uh, less than fair that yeah. they can do that. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, I think that it's an uh, old structure. I think that currently there are way too many places in New York where you can perform without having to bark and get your chops ready to the point to where you can go to a club when you're already good and then they no longer can make you do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to all those that do bark, respect. I, yeah. I, I think it's incredible. It's just not for you. It's just not it's for just me. Not, it just, it just it. wasn't your path. Yeah, I'm like, I looked at it as like, I'm not doing that. That's not yeah. how I feel is best uh, for me to take advantage of my time. Yeah. Um, second, uh, um, in terms of that process, uh, keep in mind that while I did take a year off, um, I run a, uh, essentially a business with my family. You know, like yeah. my, my father and my, my mother, my wife, um, we're all partners in this real estate shit. And um, I have two kids that depend on me. My wife doesn't have another source of income. So my job and my rent is where my money comes from. So when I say I'm not working and I'm only going to live on rent, um, that's a sacrifice that I'm making. I can't change their quality of life. I'm, I refuse to. They, they have an expectation that I've provided and I've set. Um, so... If I'm going to gamble on this, I better approach it like a business yeah. so that they see that I'm taking it seriously so that if there ever is a hiccup, they know that it's not from a lack of effort on my part. Yeah, I- I'm glad that you clarified that because it's not like you left your job and said, yo, fuck it. I'm going to go home, sit on my couch and write jokes. You had another you had yeah. another business set up and you were like, yo, you know what? Let me let me fall back, take a little bit of cut. And then, you know, I could still maintain everything and then write my jokes still. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you clarified that because I don't want people to listen to this and be yeah, like, oh, no. shit, I'm going to have to quit my job no, 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 if, no, I'm, no. if I'm trying to make this 50 minutes. No, no, no. Quit. <laughs> no, stay in school, stay at work, do what you got to do. Um, um, real real artists work, by the way. Real yeah. artists have day jobs. Uh, forget homegirl that has a book literally like titled like that, but it's very real. Um, there's no shame whatsoever in being an artist and needing to do a day gig. Uh, you do it to survive and you create your dope art. It doesn't uh, reflect on how professional you are. It doesn't reflect on how dope your art is if you mm-hmm. still need to do a day gig to pay for it. Yeah. Keep doing it. it. It makes it possible for us to do what we do. Yeah. And, uh, so that's 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 dope advice. And, th- and this is part of my purpose like of doing this whole shit is just because like as a creative, like you think you're pursuing something creative and you're like, yo, I know that like I can't I'm not a real creative if I'm also working nine to five you know what i mean like you feel like as soon as you start creating art that you're just supposed to be getting bank off of whatever it is that you're creating and then everything else is taking care of itself you know what i'm saying not at all so that's um so dialing it back you so so you in that job year and a half year and a half you you take the time off and you're just focusing on your other business and your comedy and you were feeling real depressed um so I heard one of the equations is that tragedy plus time equals comedy. Right. How how impactful has that been for you? Like how much of your of your jokes and your material comes from times of tragedy? Um I would say I would say 100% of it comes from emotional moments and the split of tragedy versus fun is probably 70/30. Um cuz there is there is a a large portion of my comedy that also comes from happy moments, um, as long as it's high emotion. Um, so, for example, uh, like on the new album, I have this whole thing about uh, my son t- asking me really complicated questions that I couldn't answer because he was studying in school about tectonic plates. Um, so I didn't know what the fuck tectonic <laughs> plates were. I, I was super I'm, lost. I'm, I'm familiar with the term only as a joke. Yeah, exactly. like only as a joke from like ain't nobody paying attention to earth science, fam. Like yeah. it's like come on. So I was like I was super lost when he brought it up, but I I was proud that uh, a he fully understood it. B his sister understood it because they talked about it without me. Oh um, shit! And then that they schooled me on it. You know, so like 
in the moment, like, I felt stupid. Like, oh, shit, I should know this, apparently. Yeah. Um, but, like, there was a pride, too. Like, yo, this is freaking dope. Yeah. Um, and it's it's some, it's some one of my better bits in terms of how it's received uh, everywhere. But that's something that came from Happy. Um, uh, I tease him also in terms of, like, I have a Valentine's Day bit about how he stole... Uh, my line in terms of what I said to my wife, and he gave he got more credit than I did for it. Um, so again, like in in the moment, like I might joke and rib him a little bit, like "Hey, I said it," but I'm genuinely proud that he knows. Oh, this is something I should do. I should show uh, respect and love to my mother, and because she provides for me the other three hundred something days a year, you know. Yeah. So uh, uh, there's definitely a lot that comes from joy. Um, I think the reason that so much more of it comes from pain is because it's a it, it it's an easier uh, emotion to recollect, um, and it's a, an emotion that you tend to stay in longer. And if you're an artist in general, my 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 findings have been that artists struggle with processing their emotion in any other way but their art. And the only emotion that sucks to process is 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 pain. So they process it that way. Like when you're happy as an artist, you're not struggling. You're enjoying that. That's not a problem. Mm. When you're struggling as an artist, you suck at explaining it, so you do what you do. Yeah. Um, but if I forced you to make art when you were happy, it would be just as powerful. It's just you don't have a need to because you can enjoy that with other people. When you're in pain, you suck as an artist at uh, uh, sharing that with other people, so you share it the way you know how to. Um, so I don't think it's 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 mandatory that way. It just happens to land that way because of the skill set. Um, I don't think it's. I think there's a there's a need for emotional training and emotional intelligence in terms of uh, for people that tend to be artists to be healthier. It just sucks that if we did that, we'd probably lose a bit of art in the process. But um, for their well being, I do think it's important. That's that's interesting because I guess like you're, you're flipping it on the fact that it's not really tragedy plus time, it's high emotion plus time. Any yeah. high emotion that you dedicate enough time to will result in art. For sure. That's like, always been my feeling. Okay. Um, but I think that that comes from, um, again, the fact that uh, I've had to explain and teach to my kids' siblings and to my kids directly how to process emotion. And it's made me more aware of what triggers uh, an emotional response from me. And because of that, it's made me very aware of what uh, triggers a response from the audience. Yeah. Um, how how yeah. did you learn that? Um, in terms of... Uh, well, how, the, the the processing of emotions. Like, how did you learn enough to be able to teach your kids and your siblings? Yeah, uh, a few things. Um, one, um, <laughs> it's... Uh, I learned this very, very uh, fucked up game from my dad uh, <laughs> that uh, I know is it's not public. My mom hated it, and she made him stop, but... Uh, my dad used to own a bodega in the hood, and um, whenever she couldn't uh, keep me for the day because she had her day gig, I would go with him, and he would make me stand behind the counter and spot the people most likely to steal. Mm. And he said that it's in, it's in their emotion. So I it's hard for me to explain it, but I've become very good at noticing when someone's going to do something shady, when someone's going to rob me, when someone's going to try to do something grimy to my business. Um, and those... Uh, those uh, physical traits that are in your, like, uh, that are facial tics, um, they're things that can be studied. I, f I found out that there's, like, a whole field of study for that. A TV show, Lie to Me, was made based on the scientists that first discovered and analyzed them. Um, and I realized that I learned them from him. Um, he would literally hit me every time I got it wrong. Yeah. He's like, this is, and he would be like, no, that's wrong. That guy stole from me six times, and he just stole a bag of chips, and he was showing me on the tape. Um, oh, so we shit. kept doing it over and over again. Um, so I'd have like a bruised up arm 
And my mom would be like, what the fuck? You're hitting the kid. <laughs> but by like the end of, but I was excited because I was getting it right more and yeah. more. Um, and then second, uh, in terms of a healthier way of learning that, um, is just, I did sales management a lot. And again, I had to learn how to, uh, explain something that I felt was logical to people that were emotional. Um, so if I have a logical business thing that I think would work for your business, I noticed that over and over again, uh, for smaller businesses, the emotion mattered more because it was a personal thing they owned. Whereas for bigger businesses, part of bigger businesses, uh, the logic went out because it was a manager making a decision they had to report. So it, it was uh, interesting learning that the same exact uh, success, the uh, same exact thing that could lead to success, would ha I would have to pitch it completely differently because of who I was pitching it to and what mattered to the person. Um, so seeing that over and over again, um, I learned a lot about emotion, and then I realized uh, that those things I could I could use the same tactics that I used to sell at home. Um, and I showed it to my wife and then she told me and she got mad at me over it because she realized that I've been selling to her. So like our whole relationship, she's like, yo, you know, you do sales tactics to me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, she, cause I showed her the sheet that I was using to train my sales staff. And she's like, you do this, this, and this every time we talk and you need to win the conversation. So I was like, oh shit. I was like, my bad. It's not intentional. It's just, it's something that's innate in me now. Yeah. Um, but in turn, I've done it to my kids. So like, uh. As an example, um, whenever I take my kids shopping, if they want like a toy, I'll, I'll say, sure, but explain to me why you need this toy. Give me three reasons for the toy. Sure, okay. Um, do you deserve this toy more than your sibling does the toy? Yes or no. So should, do you deserve this $10 toy more than both of you deserve a $5 toy? Um, then if they pick a second toy, do you want this toy versus that toy? Weigh it out. Do you have an equal toy at your crib? And I, I, I challenge them regularly for it. Um, in turn, I think it's made them... Uh, more emotionally stable in the decisions they make. Um, I expect it to be harder for me to parent them as they get older because I do think that I'm developing them differently um, in a way that I want them to be independent thinkers. And in turn, I'm hoping that because of that, while it'll be harder for me during their teenage years, when they're alone and I can't be there, I, I hope that they're strong enough to make decisions that hold weight and that you know lead them overall to do good things that's dope bro i feel like you're fulfilling the stereotype of comics being smart people <laughs> like it's like because so. because i was about to ask you like yo you're trying to adopt a 31 year old like i'm like because i'll be at the store like yo should i buy the snickers do i deserve this snickers like not much money i would save bro <laughs> like <laughs> but um so I, I want to move on to to getting from because uh, remember I told you you're the only one that that's gone came on the show that has a full album material. Yeah. Um, how did you go from 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 like the five ten minute sets and increase to the thirty minute set, forty minute set, fifty minute set? What's that process like? Sure, it's uh, a it's a bitch. It's it's annoying. It's tough. <laughs> um, it's it's enjoyable, but it's hard. Um, what it is is uh consistent writing like you literally keep writing over and over again um you regularly do writing in terms of creating new content um you uh making a scheduled approach in terms of editing going back and forth to old material every now and then um it's 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 a it's a conscious effort to build sort towards certain moments so um as a new yorker we are very very good in the stand-up scene to to create really sharp 15 second set of punchline jokes. We're incredible at it. Um, and in turn, we're also incredible at creating these 10 minute powerful sets because in general, that's what the comedy scene is here. 
Um, so I got very good at that first by regularly writing set up punchline jokes, going to comedy, open mics, practicing them over and over again, slowly getting invited, invited to bar shows and working on that. Um, as I got better at that, I realized that it, uh, it wasn't innate to me and it wasn't what I wanted to do long term. Um, so I started to experiment with doing longer form stories. Uh, I bumped into this comic, Jeff Zimmerman, who uh, also released an album uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and I'm not lying, real dope story-centric album, and um, him, as well as uh, Janelle James, who uh, literally heard me do a long-form story, um, they both told me that uh, that's more your, like, that's your natural way of talking and your natural way of performing. Um, you should lean into that more. Um, and during this exact time, I, I did the Brooklyn Batman piece that got picked, so it kind of, like, cemented that idea of I don't need to be the traditional set-up punchline comic that is popular and successful in the New York comedy scene to be successful overall. Um, there are literally thousands of different styles of comedy and they are all equally viable and uh, valuable and wanted. So I uh, then started spending uh, an equal amount of time developing these longer stories. So I started uh, looking back to the things in my life that affected me. So the Brooklyn Batman thing was a huge moment in my life. I still think about it to this day. Um, and I, I literally uh, wrote out the whole thing, um, and, I, and I don't actually write. I uh, I literally uh, set it into my phone and texted it to get the whole. I, I sent it to that service to get it typed out, mm. and then I went through the story, and then I would add uh, the the uh, punchlines to punch it up. So I told the story essentially to myself, um, the way I would normally tell it to friends, um, and then that was a big part of it too. I realized that. All of my favorite stories were stories that I was telling to friends anyway. Um, so then I would take those moments and, again, I would go through the same process of writing jokes. It's just I would do it within the structure of the story so that I would have these longer bits. Um, and then I, I just decide whether or not um, I'm going to perform the full story at a show. So I'll go to, like, story-centric shows and they'll allow me to do this one long piece. Or if I'm at a stand-up show... I'll essentially do the part of the story that people care about in terms of laughing, which is the beginning, middle, and I'll leave the emotional um, and the uh, the character change to myself. I'll keep that and just go to the next joke. Um, and it allowed me to practice to set a punchline and the structure aspect of it a lot. Um, so do that for you know however long you need to do it. If you're a newer comic, that process might take four to five years. Um, and as you keep going, you'll you'll kind of funnel that down more and more um, because, A, you get better at the process, and, B, one, the more respect you get, the less likely you are to do short sets so you have more time to work on that material. Um, so, yeah, like, you know, right now I'm blessed where, like, I don't have to do open mics anymore. You know, when I want to work uh, new material out, I at the low end I'll get, like, a 10 to 12-minute set at a bar show and now or at, a, or at a show that's run by a comic. So now I have a little bit more flexibility to work on something new. Um, and I just literally keep doing that over and over again. Then when it comes time to putting it together, I legit uh, write down the themes that um, I would like to cover for the album. I write down the titles of every single story and I write down the title of every single bit. And in general, what I've noticed is that over that year, when I look at those things, they tend to be pretty close in uh, feel and topic and it will make sense to put certain things together. Um, so like right now I have like about three and a half hours worth of material, but when I looked at it, this 45, 50 minutes made sense to me together. And that's what I put together. 
Um, I also uh, made an effort to avoid anything that had a video already. I, I didn't want to use Brooklyn Batman on this. I didn't want to use uh, my first job because it's going to be on the next season of This Is Not Happening. Where so, can I watch my first job? Um, right now it's on YouTube under, I forget what show. Uh, I don't know if it was, uh, I don't know if um, Yum's The Word posted it, but it's going to be on the new season of This Is Not Happening. Okay. So that'll come out in the new year with like a pro YouTube shot video similar to the Brooklyn Batman thing. Okay. Um. So because I know that that's already recorded and done, I don't want. I didn't want to include it in my album because then it's another. It's it, you know I don't want to double dip. Yeah. I that, want like if you're a fan and you discover me, you're gonna get a full hour of video you haven't seen before. Yeah, that's super. That's super respectful for the listener. Yeah, like, for the listener tough, and the watcher. It's it's something I, to to your point. I feel like uh I want to do honor by the by them. They're they're my fans. They they if you're invested in me and you believe in my product, you deserve. A full hour of new shit if you're coming to check me out you know it's hard to do i and i understand exactly why a comic can't always do it but um i had the time to prep and i felt like it was only right that i didn't give them anything that they could find on video um i think uh two of the stories that i used were on podcast but nothing on the album is going to be that you can something you found on a tv show yeah like nothing that's going to be like uh like pop up as soon as someone puts in your name you right know what i mean exactly um you mentioned that uh, Brooklyn Batman got picked. Yeah, uh, picked by whom or how? Sure, like just sure. that that whole story because that's <laughs> what, it, just, you know what it is. It's like when you speak to a lot of comedians, you know, like basically, not even comedians. Uh, for, forget the comedian part. Forget I said that. Just a creative in general. Yeah. Right, you're, you're kind of grasping for straws when you're trying to figure out like how people do things, right? Because yeah. it's like you're looking at the people above you, and y'all don't have a line of communication, so you can't ask somebody like, "Yo, how you did that, bro?" You know what I mean? So yeah, you got to yeah. look to the people next to you, but then you guys are all grasping at the same straws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for a comedian that's currently working there, five minutes, ten minute bits, fifteen minute bits, how'd you get picked for? Um, how did Brooklyn Batman get picked, and for what did it get picked? Sure, sure. So first, um. I want to clarify something you said there because I, I, I want to make sure I'm very clear here with this. I am not grasping at the same straws as anybody else. I want I want every comic in the world to know if you listen to me and you want advice, talk to me directly. If there is something you're up for that you think you could get, I am more than happy to help you. The reason for that is because I don't think we're grasping at the same things. If you get something and I didn't get it, you didn't take it from me. You got it because you were the person for it. You deserve that thing. There is no cap on who can be funny. There's no, oh, he made 100000 so I'm not going to make money. Whatever money you make from comedy, you deserve, you earned, and you didn't steal it from me. So I fully believe that if you're an artist and you have something you know, share it. Because all that's going to happen is a peer of yours that's talented but slightly different is going to learn about it. They're going to respect you for sharing it. And when they then learn about an opportunity that's right for you, they'll share it back. Um, so, A, if you if there's anything, any comic that knows me, um, wants to know, feel free to hit me up. I don't care if you blow up my DMs. I know I'm, like, you know, touching on dangerous <laughs> yeah. ground here. That, yeah, yeah, it's just and, about to be crazy. Yeah, right? and, and legit, <laughs> but I, that's how much I believe in it. I'd rather yeah. deal with that than not. Um, and any comic that knows me knows I back that up. If you have, if I have time for you, I will answer any and all questions. Um, because I, it's something I'm that adamant about. Um, with that said, um, the it's you hear it a lot, but the the first priority is get good. Um, get all the opportunities that come forward. Don't come forward unless you're good. Let's, so let's get that first. You know, before you start asking, how do I get the TV show? Be genuinely honest with yourself. Are you that good? If you are. 
then great. Those things open up easy. Now, how did I get this specific thing? Um, I actually touched on it earlier. I got very lucky that a few comedians um, uh, took the time to point out the fact that what I did um, in terms of stand-up uh, had an inclination to be story-centric. And they pointed out that I did that exceptionally well. Um, and I don't think, th I think that too many uh, people in the arts, in particular right now, are misunderstanding the moment we're in. Um, there was a time where you needed to be uh, universal because uh, the networks didn't know how to find funny, meaning they would literally make you go to stand-up clubs for 10 years, become a pretty good stand-up, and then when they felt you were ready, they would put you on a late-night show and they would hire you for a TV show. And then from there, you could do whatever kind of funny you want. Do a TV show, do a movie, do SNL, write sketches. But that was the proven path. And then because of that, you had to be exceptionally good at stand-up and then learn to be good at the others. That's changed completely. So now, because of Netflix, because of YouTube, because of all these other avenues we have, get exceptionally good at whatever the hell you want to do. If you want to go to SNL, don't even waste time being a stand-up literally learn to write sketches and get exceptionally good at writing and producing sketches because they'll hire you off of the youtube channel that you built on your own because they're that good they they'd rather have the specialist than the pretty good overall guy now there's too many avenues now to waste time being pretty good at everything when you can be exceptional at the thing that you want to do and i've made a conscious effort to become exceptional at story-centric shit i want to be exceptional at telling stories on stage and eventually I plan on transitioning that to doing film. Um, but you won't catch me doing setup punchline. Um, I'm not that comic. You're not gonna catch me doing improv. Um, I'd like to do maybe a class to learn the basics, but you'll never see me pursuing that as the stand-up that I need to do, as the comedy that I need to do, pardon me. Because I acknowledge that A, it doesn't call me. Um, B, it probably doesn't lean into my strengths. Um, but once you've done enough exploring that initial first year, Figure out what genuinely moves you as an artist. Lean in. Do only that. Embody that. Um, and you'll realize that you'll break those uh, you'll break those barriers far quicker and people will put you into work fast. Um, so how did I get that direct thing? Um, to answer that question, uh, uh, Jeff's, uh, Jeff Zimmerman saw me at a show where we all, a whole bunch of stand-ups, myself, him, uh, Naomi, I forget her last name right now. She does uh, Redactive Tonight in D.C., um, uh, we all performed stories. He loved it, and he was known for stories, and he was like, yo, that's fire. You need to do that on my show. I did it on his show. Uh, Janelle James saw me do the the show, and she, as I said earlier, she pointed out that uh, your story-centric shit is really dope, um, and you should submit for uh, this is not happening. Um, then uh, about a month later, uh, Ari Shafir posted on Facebook saying, uh, hey, I'm looking for black and brown comics. I'm looking for Latina comics. I need more diversity on my show. Can anyone recommend anybody? And like five comics who were friends with him. I wasn't his friend on Facebook. But five comics who had heard of me who were all far further ahead of me. Janelle James, Jeff Zimmerman, and a few others literally uh, sent me the message saying, yo, this is you. Um, and I had just bodied the Brooklyn Batman story at this show in the city. Uh, I think Word it was called. Uh so I had to hit up that producer, ask for a copy of that tape, and I submitted it. And um, the uh, producers from the show loved it, um, and they asked me directly, hey, uh, uh, are you repped? Have you been on other things? And I had none of that. I still don't have any of that. Um, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a manager. I don't have an agent. So I know that that initially hurt me because I don't have somebody battling for me. But the story was so good and so polished 
that it didn't matter. And they're like, you know what? Uh, uh, I'm going to fight for the story because I believe in it. Uh, shout out to Sam. Real dope work that she did for getting me on the show. Um, and because of that, uh, I, I, I had people that genuinely believed in what I did. It was special and it was unique to me. And it got on this show that, being frank, everyone else was on. If you look at that first, at that season that I'm on, I'm the only unrepped comic. Um, every other comic had either a manager or an agent or usually both. Um, and I, I, it all became from the fact that I decided to kind of kneel in and, and, and lean in into this, uh, this aspect of comedy that I'm, I'm naturally good at. And I sharpened that. Um, and it almost, you know, um, with that said, you know, uh, like if somebody would have asked me to perform stand up, like set up punchline at that moment, I probably would have flopped if you would have told me to do like a half hour. Because yeah. I, I wasn't, that's not what I spent it's my time working shit, on. Yeah. Um, and I, but in turn, I was comfortable explaining that. Um, but if you want me to do a story three, four years ago, I would have bodied you then. Like um, three, four years ago, I felt comfortable that my story skills at, in, term, at, at a, in a comedy room could hold weight with anybody. Because that's something I've been practicing unintentionally since I was seven with the circle with my yeah. uncle's group. I was, I was going to say, how unimpressed was your uncles, though? Right. You know, <clears throat> you know how you know how, the, you know how the Dominican uncles get like, oh, sí, este, <laughs> por esto fue que te pusieron, ah, pues yo me voy para la televisión también. Eso es todo, eso es todo. My album taping two sold out shows, I got a, a camera crew of four people. One of the camera guys has been nominated for three Emmys. I got a record label that's put out 70 freaking albums back in me. Shout out to 800 Pound Gorilla. And my dad left the show like, oh, that's it? <laughs> what? That's what you had me come out here for? But that's what keep you sharp. Yo, straight up, that's like, what keep you sharp. Bro, I can't, I, when, when, I, when he told me that, dude, like my heart hurt a little, but I was like, I got you. Next one, I'm going to body that shit. You, <laughs> you know? But yeah, to your point, it needles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, to make sure I drive, like, I drive the point. Like I got very good at something first, and because I got very good at that, people notice it over and over again. Comedy, uh, what I genuinely love about this art form is that it respects good more than any other job I've seen in my life. The, uh, networking and all those things matter, and it's good to be good with people. But comedy respects good people, like in terms of talent. Yeah. Um, so if you're good at something. They'll figure out a way to get you on the stream. Um, and people want to help you out because they see you're good. Yeah. Um, and as long as you're a good person, they'll, it'll make it easier for them to help you in the process. Nice. So when people met me, they saw I was a genuinely good guy. And then when I performed these stories, they're like, yo, that shit is special. We need you to be more successful. And people that had no reason to help me, like from the very beginning, a Roy Wood Jr., from a Janelle James, from a Jeff Zimmerman, they legit took time to make sure that they opened the door for me because they acknowledge it. Like, yo, I remember being dope and not being seen. That's dope. That needs to get seen. And they'll make sure to open the door for you because they understand that it's not costing them a door. It's not because that's not their lane. They get it. Like, that lane was meant for this kid. So when mm. you look at the reviews on YouTube, like, read them. The comments, like, like one out of every, like, 50 comments is someone saying, I don't understand Brooklyn accents, you know? <laughs> uh, let's get that out the way it happens, you know? But the other 49 comments are genuinely people saying, yo, I don't know who this kid is, but this is exceptional. Yo, this is a top five story on the show. Um, yeah, because, you know, and I'll say, I'll say it for you. 
Um, I seen that show before, and you bodied Doug Stanhope. Like I'm talking about, like you bodied him, bro. Like you caught a body. Like if, like if, we, like if it was a rap album, you know what I mean? And we was like going down the list, and it was like I killed you on your own shit. Cause yeah. he's he's a he's a storytelling comic. He, yeah, he leans into storytelling comic. He's a beast. He's he's yeah. a beast. He's fin- phenomenal. Yeah, he's phenomenal. But you definitely bodied it. Like you definitely bodied that one. Um, but actually, let's take a quick breather. Yeah, yeah I'm about to piss myself. <laughs> All right, we're in. Um, so, <clears throat> so I guess you're you're like like all these pieces came together from you sharpening your blade. Yeah. No, first of all, finding what your blade is. Right. Sharpening that and then making meaningful contacts with different people in in the, in the industry and in the space that you want to get into. Most deaf. Um. So, what's your take on like like the social media stuff? Like like building on social media first, or like or like building out social media. And versus like going out and actually meeting people in real life and expanding that way, like what what are the two different worlds there? Yeah, sure. So, um, in terms of like comedy, uh, what I've noticed is that uh, there's definitely a value to um, having a social media following. I get that, and 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 uh, it's not a coincidence that uh, people with large social media followings tend to get placed on TV shows easier. Um, it, it opens up doors, you know, because. Uh, it's proof that um, there is there is an interest in what you have to say and what you post. So I fully get the need for that. I fully get the wanting of growth uh, of those channels for people that want to break into the industry. Um, with that said, none of my social media uh, numbers are crazy, uh, and I, I feel like I've accomplished some decent things. Um, I do expect them to grow significantly going forward, in particular uh, – with uh, the next two years or so, I think I have two pretty cool projects that I think will get me uh, quite a bit of notoriety, knock on wood, and hopefully those numbers change. Um, but what I've noticed is, uh, A, I feel that over and over again, um, what I've noticed is that every writing, every job I want as a comedian um, requires me to work with other comedians. Um, if you're the head of a show and you're the star of the sitcom, you're going to have a, high, a writing team. All those writers are, in general, comics that you're friends with because besides doing shows and seeing that they're funny, there's freaking 20,000 funny comedians in New York. You're going to pick the 10 people that you know I could spend 50 hours a week with them because I spent 50 hours talking with them at a bar after a show because I talked to him when his girl broke up and he still had to perform funny and I saw that he was stable. Um, so that when we get stressed out with a deadline, I know that he's still going to be reliable. Um I built relationships with those people. Uh, we struggled together. We came up together. So I've noticed that over and over again, and I, I don't think this is just comedy. I think the arts in general are, as you move up, the arts tend to lead to collaboration. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that the best hip-hop music is being made, made currently by collabs with producers. Growing up, I remember Pete Rock. It was a Pete Rock beat. That was the only dude on the freaking track. Whereas, like, Illmind is one of my favorite producers now. And I remember he came up in a style real similar to that boom bap, I make beats on my own. But look at every Illmind credit today. That dude's on J. Cole albums. He's on Kendrick albums. Every one of those credits is a, co- is a collabo. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that the arts over and over again are showing us that you fine-tune your tool on your own, but you create masterpieces in collaboration. So... Um, the reason I bring that up is because I think it's important to be out there and literally make connections with people because you won't know who you click with. 
you won't know who you're comfortable creating art with. You don't know who you're able to tolerate for a 12-hour shift to make this thing perfect. Um, that takes time meeting people. That takes uh, an effort to go out to shows and not only perform, but hang out before and after. Um, in particular, with stand-up, we struggle with that because there's the the there's a big push, um, and you should do this for moments, but not forever. Uh, but there is a big push on this idea of, oh, I need to do six sets a day. Uh, let me do a 10-minute set here, drive to this other club and do this. There's times for that when you're sharpening up for an appearance on TV. I get that. But there is just as much value in doing two sets and spending two hours at that club and hanging out with the other comics and bonding with them because you're building that relationship of, yo, you know what? When uh, I get this TV show and I need to hire a writing staff, I could recommend Gastor because I liked hanging out with him and I could see how his brain works and I see how he combats and, uh, and talks about his opinion and it won't be argumentative. It'll be a genuine balanced combo and we'll come to a solution together. Um, so in terms of social media versus real contacts, I think they both have equal values, but they're very different in terms of what you're getting from it. Um, and I think that not enough people think through what they're trying to achieve. So if your goal to, is to be a TV star, yeah, you're right. You should boost your social media number. I'm going to be fully real with that because you need to um, make yourself someone who offers the value of attracting people to whatever it is you're doing as an art, whether it is you performing, you being on stage, you being on film. If your goal is to create the art, um, in terms of writing, in terms of being a backstage person, um, or if your goal is even to be a movie star, but currently you want to just sharpen your skills, you shouldn't be focused on the social media part now. Focus on developing the connects that allow you to get the reps in. Um, another aspect that I don't think enough people, um, um, with that said, uh, something that I don't think enough for the people that are pro- uh, Pro connects. I don't think they think about the value of social media the right way. I think that social media people that push for that think they're doing it for the reach. They're doing it to hit the 100K because it proves that they matter. And I think that the people that value connects think that social media doesn't matter because that's not real and that it doesn't matter either. What I've learned um, is that the reason you grow your social media numbers is because it's proof of uh, execution. So when I see someone grow their social media from 10,000 to 100,000, I don't care about the fact that they have 100,000 fans. I care about the fact that they were able to come up with a plan and meet the, meet, meet the goal. So if I'm, a, if I'm a TV network and I see a real funny comedian but he has 1,000 followers, I want, I'm going to tell him very directly, and I've been told this to my face. So this is why, and, and, and when I thought about it, it made sense to me when I had a friend from the network break it down to me. When I ask you to go get 10K followers, yes, it does grow your reach. Yes, it allows us to grow anticipation for you to be on this project. But more importantly, it tells me that I can trust you to execute a plan without me. Meaning, if I tell you, yo, the reason you're not on TV is because you don't have 10K followers, you can go home, come up with a valid plan on how to get that executed. So when you're an artist, understand that over and over again, uh, executives don't know funny. They don't know good rap. They don't know good music. They don't know good art. They just know when it's good, we make money, and we have to trust that it's good. And we're going to give you a ton of money to do it. So when, like, Comedy Central approaches you saying, 
hey, um, I'm going to give you $10 million. I just have to trust that in 10 weeks you're going to give me 10 episodes that are funny. I, I, I could find a thousand comedians that are funny and that are that, that that are talented, but have you shown me the discipline to execute a plan? If I, if I gave you a goal and you executed it, or um, which my goal with the with filming my own special and album that that's a goal that I set. I wanted to show people I don't need you to fully fund and shoot and deliver my own fully professional looking special. That's what I'm doing with these things. It's it's proof of concept that if you give me a budget and a deadline, I'm not only funny, but I'm professional enough to execute it. So when you hear about people saying I'm growing my social media, if it's with that in mind, I approve it. I'm fully on board with it because that tells me you're understanding what the real goal of that number is. You're, you're saying, hey, listen, this is the objective. I'm going to come up with an action plan to get to that number because that's proof that I can achieve something. And with that in mind, then yes, I'm on board. If you're just getting social media numbers because you think that's the that makes that's proof that you're in that you're popping, you're you're not you're not fully getting the goal. Yeah, yeah, like you like if you're doing it like yo, once I get to 10k, I'm done. Yeah. Bitches gonna love me. Exactly, you're, you're missing the whole yeah. concept behind it because you, you'll end up just buying followers. You're not getting yeah. the point. But if you grow it because you understand that it's uh it's proof that you understand business. It's proof that you can set a goal. You can viably follow your numbers. You can see what's effective and what's not. You can repeat that in any business. Now now I know, okay, if I give you 10K to do this other thing, you're going to do it. If I give you 100K to do this other, to shoot this, you're going to do it. Because you've shown me that you can execute something. Yeah, so that's like a, it's almost like a, the, the the barrier of entry yeah, for, exactly. for it. It's, a, it's like for, for, for a network to trust you or for an executive to trust you or for any investor in general to trust you. It's like you can either you do it one of those two ways. Yeah, like so. you can you, you can you can do it with a writing package, which is what a lot of comics used to do, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I guarantee you, there's a ton of writers on late night shows that have fifty they got five hundred followers, mm -hmm. you know. But they stayed, they were very disciplined and created this perfect fifteen page packet of jokes. If you want to do it the social media way, that's cool too. But that's that's the thinking behind it. You need to understand that that's what you're attempting to prove. Yeah. Um, and they're going to look at it, see the analytics behind it. That's what they're looking at. They don't care that you have the 100K. It's that you executed a plan behind it. And if you and when they bring you into the meeting, you better believe that they're going to ask you, how would you get to that number? And if that explanation sounds like bullshit, it sounds like luck, and it doesn't sound like you can replicate that, you're going to lose credibility real quick. Mm. You know? And that's that's hard to get back, right? Like exactly. once it's lost, it's hard to get back. So you mentioned uh, that you know, set it, getting your album done, immigrant made, and um, and and shooting it the right way, and getting it done the way you wanted it to be done. That's part of your goal, and it was a very important goal for you. Um, first of all, I just want to ask, why is it called immigrant made? Yeah, sure. Uh, I uh, I feel that um, there is a big value in. Um, the level of hard work that people that come from other countries provide to this country. Um, it's what this country was uh, grown with. It's what made us great for a long time. And I think that um, currently uh, there's a huge class of immigrants that aren't being valued the same way that we have historically. Uh, I'm a big East New Yorker, like I said, and I rep it fully. It's a big black and brown community. Um, always, and it, and it Always has not been, and that's what people forget. Um, if you look back on it, uh, like if you watch Goodfellas, it's proof that East New York was very Italian once, but that was once the immigrant community of the area. Um, 
and you know you had we've had huge groups of immigrants over and over again come to this country from various different places and they've over and over again done nothing but add value to what America is and I think that's incredibly dope um, and being frank they are the people that make it possible for us to do the dream shit Sorry yeah about that so that's like cool. uh, so the reason I call it immigrant made is because um of what I do for a living in terms of being uh, uh, doing the, the homes and the real estate with my dad, uh, he genuinely struggles with understanding why I'm pursuing this. He doesn't get the logic behind it. He thinks that it's uh, it's too uh, it's 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 not a stable thing. It's not realistic, and I get that. Um, and what I've tried to explain to him is that um, by pursuing what he did, that's my base now. You know, like. Uh, him coming here from a farming community in the Dominican Republic, coming from Bonal, with no money, no English, and owning freaking properties all over East New York and Cypress Hills, when, I'm sure if he explained that to his father, that sounded insane to him. Like, that was a crazy dream. Um, and by the same token, if he, he, he wasn't, um, because of those limitations of him being on a farm, being on TV wasn't even a dream that was even in his, like, it wasn't even fathomable. So, so when he got here, he created a new ground floor for me. So I don't feel that I can do honor to the work that his generation of immigrants did by repeating it. You know, I, I went to school and I, and I, and if all goes bad, I'll get a corporate job and at night I'll own property, but that's not my bottom floor. So if, if I'm genuinely going to try to do honor to my dad and to his generation of Dominicans that came here and bought all their guys and grinded to send all their kids to college, some of us have to shoot some crazy shots and try to cross over now to the things that they viewed as crazy to think about, just like his dad viewed his dream to be crazy. And some of us are going to hit. It might not be me. It might be someone else. But some of us are going to now be crossover on TV. Some of us are going to be movie stars. Some of us are going to be artists because those are now the dreams of those people. And so that's what I think about constantly is uh, I feel that my dad worked 80 hours a week for far too long for me to do the same thing he did working 40. I could get that. And if all goes wrong, he worked hard enough for me to make that my, my base. And I super appreciate that. But in turn, it wouldn't be right of me not to attempt for more. So that's something that is only possible because I saw an immigrant's hustle to provide that for his family. So I feel like I'm immigrant made. I, I saw um, the genuine ambition of, of this guy come to this country and pursue something that wasn't his and demand it and get it. And in turn, I'm trying to do the same here. Um, also because I wanted that so much uh, for my kids and I, it was a genuine challenge to replicate that. That's why I'm super appreciative that my wife is an immigrant um, and my kids will get some of that hustle that I know I learned directly only because my parents were that. Mm. Nice. So it's a good title. Hopefully. It encompasses hopefully, a lot. Right. Yeah, hopefully. It encompasses man. a lot. And um, <clears throat> earlier, before we got on the mics, we was talking about uh, Gerard Carmichael's eight. Yeah, And yeah. the importance of how the special is shot. Yeah, man. So how, how important is it for you that your special is, is shot in a way that really conveys the the high emotion of your bits? Yeah, man. It's... it's, it's uh, it's incredibly slept on, in my opinion, the importance of the cinematography, the, the look of a special. I think that for far too long, uh, the visual aspect of comedy wasn't being advanced. 
Um, if you look over the last 30, 40 years, comedy regularly like moved forward very aggressively as an art form in terms of how stand-up was written, how it was performed. It got more and more aggressive, more and more uh, confrontational. It was willing to cover more and more uh, topics. It's been incredible to see just how far it can go. It's also been incredible to see how wide it can go, seeing comedians that, um, you know, the alternative crowd, you could do, you could do shows that are uh, in freaking living rooms, and uh, you could do really, like, uh, aggressive, curse-heavy uh you could do real clean comedy. You could do family-oriented comedy. It's been awesome to see the diversity of what people consider funny and each of those comics been able to grow their audiences. What hasn't advanced is how they're shot. Up until maybe five years ago, I think there was like a 30-year time there where every special just looked the same. Um, why does Delirious look exactly the way as like a Chappelle special from 96? A straight-ahead shot. Uh, the wide shot, yeah, the, the like crowd. a three point yeah. three point camera. Yeah, it was so generic that you can literally recreate it without even thinking. Yeah, um, like you could see exactly where the cameras are. <laughs> like, yeah, like you know you where know every it. camera is. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like it was too easy to uh, replicate. Um, so over this past uh, like three to four years, uh, I think uh, it started with uh, Netflix making a huge investment with uh, stand up. I think they uh, right off the bat they changed the production value i don't think netflix has shot an ugly special yet every single one of their specials look beautiful um and that challenged comedy central who's stepped their game up immensely since um i think uh bo burnham um with the two specials he shot they were flat out the best looking specials i've ever seen gerard carmichael's eight um and chris rock's uh, t uh tambourine um they look so incredible to me that they flat out elevated the material um his ability to capture uh, Gerard in particular, like his vulnerability, you wouldn't see that in a, in a special shot before because of how tight uh, he shot his face. You could see the the ticks in his face when he was literally thinking about things emotionally, um, and it made you feel far closer and more connected to the material. Um, that vulnerability would have been lost before because of how generic we shot every special. Um, and it's something that worked for 80% of specials, but it wasn't the right thing for every special is all I'm saying. Um, in turn, we are going to get some specials that are disagreed upon. You know, uh, I, I personally thought that uh, Nanette uh, was an incredible special. Uh, I forget the uh, Hannah Gadsby. I forget is, uh, I, I believe is the lady that uh, did it. It's a story centric uh, special about how she was deciding to quit comedy because of how it made her feel and it ends up being the one that blows her up. Yeah. And it's a huge story-centric piece. It has sad moments. Um, and some people raved about it. Some people hated it. And that's fine because now we're in a place where people are taking gambles. Yeah, with, like I saw um, uh, Neil, Neil Gannon's Three Mics. Yes, Neil, Neil Brennan's joint. Neil Brennan, yeah, yeah. Neil Gannon. It's a different person. <laughs> but yeah, Neil Brennan's joint, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that That's a that's a comedian that's taking a gamble. He's saying, I'm going to do you know one mic, all the set-up punchlines, one was stand-up, and then one of them was uh, the stories, right? They were more personal. That's something that uh, 10 years ago, he wouldn't have even had the opportunity to do. They might not have even offered him a special if he was going to gamble that much. Yeah. But Netflix is will, it allowed him to gamble because it was another avenue. It was more, it allows him to be specialized and yeah. allowed him to take a risk that a network couldn't afford to before. Um, uh, who else was another one? Uh, uh, Drew, uh, Drew Michael with yeah, HBO's Michael. joint. 
Um, it's super controversial. Yeah. Is it stand up because there's no one in the special? But him. yeah, you know what? You know what's funny? Uh, <clears throat> funny that you mentioned the. I, I actually, he's actually one of those people that I saw him at a show. I saw him at a uh, PDD Barrel. Yeah, has a show at uh, Better Days Comedy. My man. And um, I, I went to go see a show there, and Drew Michael was on stage. And I loved his shit. Yeah. I thought I thought he was fucking funny as hell. He, he very much is. And then um, I saw his Instagram account. He got like thirty six followers. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> so it's like, and then and then I'm like, oh shit. Okay, he he like I like for some reason my perception when I saw the thirty six followers was like, oh, he's just like starting. That's crazy. His Not shit was wild polished. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I saw his shit, and I'm like, yo, this nigga's nuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and then I saw like a couple weeks after that, a couple yeah, like a couple weeks after that, I saw the commercial for the for the HBO special and that's like what got me thinking like yo hold up like those things don't add up you yeah. know what i mean like to to the basic like consumer you would pull up his instagram page and be like oh he ain't got no clout and right, then right, you right. see him on hbo and it's like hold up hold up you know what i mean like same, right? yeah it's not the same and it's like those two methods of approaching the same yeah. the same animal you know yeah man and also uh i also don't think that enough people uh put enough thought into which social media like if I were to look, I, I don't even I I don't haven't looked them up. I guarantee you off the top that I would assume his Twitter handle has more than a thousand followers. Yeah, because it's right it's writing centric, and if you've seen Drew Michael perform, his writing is exceptional, super sharp. So if I were to bet, you're right. His Instagram's probably going to be whack because he's not someone that thinks about pictures. Yeah, he thinks in words, and his wording is beautiful. Yeah, man, um, he said some shit that fucked me up, bro. I don't even remember the joke, so I'm not gonna try to say it. <laughs> right, right. But he right. was talking about like being on a date with a girl, and then like like he didn't know whether like he whether his concept of love was his own or if it was based on all the movies he saw growing up. Yeah. And that shit was so like emotional and so like uh, introspective that yeah. I just went home think I I went home and I watched when Harry met Sally and I was like I don't know what love is because this whole time <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> the conception from the movie is what I thought love was. That's so awesome. that, yeah, that was it was a good joke. That shit had me deconstructing my whole shit. So Yo, he he is an exceptional writer. Uh, he has this uh, slept on project he did before for like an indie uh, comedy label called Love. Mm -hmm. That's super dope, and it's almost all about relationships. Um, and it's on Spotify if anyone. Oh, it's on Spotify. That. Yeah, oh, real I'll dope project. Um, I'm a big fan of his writing, but uh. Um, with his, with he he got a chance to do this special. It's his first special. It's a huge gamble. Like the first time people see you visually, you're gonna fucking take probably the biggest risk anyone's taken in terms of comedy stand-up specials. I'm gonna do my first special with no audience. Yeah, that's insane. Is it out already? Yeah, it's on oh, HBO. Don't. And Check uh, that out too. so like you know like he and he had Gerard he had Gerard Carmichael uh, directed. So he has like a big name guy behind this idea. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, like my 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 what I find beautiful about it is that we're in a place now where you can gamble like that. Like you can take shots on doing things that are just as stimulating and just as challenging visually. For a very long time stand-up comedy only progressed in terms of the performance, which I understand because that's what we work on. We work on the stage thing. We we're doing four or five sets a night. We're doing you know, on the low end, every comic that I respect is doing two to 400 sets on the low end of the year. You know, so I get it. We're going to get very sharp at that. But in turn, you need to find someone that's just as visually in, in, invested and willing to gamble with the ideas of what a special could look like and what it could be. Um, and I don't think enough uh, stand-ups have done that yet. 
Um, it's starting to happen. Uh, Hassan Minaj, another one, did a full story centric album about uh, his uh, his homecoming uh, homecoming king. Um, that got a great reviews. You know, this this guy's love story with his high school crush and how he overcame that and got his you know his 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 current wife and all those things. Um, it was powerful, and it's not something that people normally associate with stand up a full one hour story structure. Um, but those all came out in the last year and a half. Because we now have these avenues where, like, you know, um, it wasn't Tanaka, HBO, or Comedy Central. They're great networks that gave us uh, great places to shine. But understand that shooting a comedy special 15 years ago was expensive. And they couldn't gamble on this crazy idea all the time. When you have a formula that worked, wait for a comedian to work 10 to 15 years, make sure he's dope, put him to do the same exact thing he did in the club on stage, We'll film it from three angles. It's going to work every time. Yeah, it was like very basic. Yeah, it, was... it worked. And the gamble was in the artist. Like, I'm going to gamble by picking a new person, but I'm going to shoot it the same way because that works. Whereas now we're in a place where the the networks are, uh, A, the value, uh, the cost of uh, doing a production like that has gone, so, uh, has gone down so much that the networks now feel comfortable not only gambling on younger, greener talent, but also gambling on more progressive ideas of what a special looks like. And because of that, the things we're seeing come out of Comedy Central, out of HBO, and out of Netflix are spectacular. And it's exciting to see where it's going. Um, I'm hoping that what I shot with this is going to be viewed the same way. It's I, I, uh, I feel that the idea of how I'm rolling it out, it's going to be unique. I think it's going to look different. Um, I think people will be very surprised when they see that it was shot where it was shot and how it looks visually. Um, and how uh, how the album breaks down, I think it's going to be a bit different. Nice. All right. So with that being said, let's get into some of these stand-up specials. Let's do it, man. Because we got a few specials to listen to. Okay. And I know that we're going to be talking about a few of these for a little bit because some of these matchups is a little difficult. Yeah. Man. At least it was a little difficult for me. And <clears throat> in one instance, we're going to have to double dip because we're going to have to listen to Chewed Up by Louis C.K., and okay. Michael Che Matters by Michael Che, which was a surprising pick for even myself because I felt like he's one of those comics that's like super new to right, me. Right. Not super new on the scene. I know he's been working forever, but that's the only special I've ever seen from him. Yeah. And I caught it on a whim on Netflix. So I was like, oh, it's the SNL guy. <laughs> and then I caught that shit and I thought it was fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um. So we're going to go to... Man, I got I got so much beef though with your bracket beef. That yo. Oh man. I mean, get, get, we gonna have to kick that. I, like I feel like I'm gonna have to bring you back just to kick yeah. around all the beef with the bracket. Dope. You should have been in the pre-production meetings, bro. Yeah, that's for real. that's. Oh, me, that, this is, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is horrible. This is hurting me right now. <laughs> uh, let's fuck around with this Louis K shit. Make sure the volume is right. Actually. I love the change joint, but man, like just like that, that doesn't even make sense to me right off the bat. And I love the change. Off rip, right? Yo. Yeah, you remember how I told you that I picked fourteen of them and three of them were suggestions? Yeah. All right. So just cut cut me some slack on that. Cause three of them were suggestions. So which one was, was a suggestion? Nah. New in town for sure was a suggestion. You didn't I, like it? I loved it. I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. But I I wouldn't have put it on here. I but actually like it. It was here. better than the one that I had in its place. Okay. So, like, I ended up picking that one over the one that I had in its place. Yeah, New in Town is... I actually like New in Town more than Che Matters. Really? Yeah. Why? I'm a big fucking uh, Mulaney fan. I like Mulaney, but I think that, uh, for some reason, Michael Shea resonated more with me. 
Yeah, I can see that. Like I it just resonated that. more with me. Like it was more like like I was sitting there laughing out loud. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it was the unexpectedness of it. Yeah. Or if it was just kind of like it, it was just it just hit me like it connected immediately. There was something about it that was undeniable for me. Like it was literally laugh out loud funny. And even when I was reviewing it for for the podcast, like yeah. I'm rewatching it and I'm like, oh yeah, this shit's still funny. Like I <laughs> like I added fucking uh, he has that one bit that that uh, the punchline is like uh, he's talking about like people asking f- uh, for uh, civil rights. Or oh yeah, us. or everyone should have this equal rights. Right. And he was like, "Yo, literally, someone was like, yo, we all need equal rights.'" And somebody else was like, "Nah, nah, son, I disagree." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Yo, that that shit was hilarious to me." Black people are. Stolen. And it becomes the difference between men and women, really, because a man uh, will like steal your car. Let's go back. Or burn bit. your house down. Or that's that's the difference between boys and girls. And it becomes the difference between men and women, really, because a man will like steal your car or burn your house down, or beat the shit out of you. But a woman will ruin your fucking life. <laughs> Do you see the difference? Like a man will cut your arm off and throw it in a river. But he'll leave you as a human being intact. He won't fuck with who you are. Women are nonviolent, but they will shit inside of your heart. My wife and I, we've been, we've been married for about nine years now, so we're almost done. And... <laughs> That's After a good, like, little one-liner. You start yeah, looking yeah, at it like, no, no. You got divorced for that one. This. So who would yeah. do that? What do you mean? We went we'll, to therapy we'll for a while, and uh, the therapist was like, he, one day he goes, you should go on a date. And I'm like, fuck you. I'm not going... I did go on a date with my wife, and I don't think I'm going to call her again. It wasn't really fun. <laughs> Some things do get easier as you've been married for a while. You start to understand each other better, and you start looking at yourself more. You spend a lot of your marriage looking at the other person and trying to change them or figure them out. Then you start realizing what you're bringing to the table, and you, you blame them less for shit, you know? Like, my wife will never fuck me again. I know that now. But I just feel differently about it. I used to get mad. I used to be like, she hasn't fucked me in months. How could she do that to me? Now I look at myself and I'm like, how did she fuck me for years? She fucked me for years. She couldn't possibly have enjoyed most of those fucks. Which means she took about 500 for the team. You gotta respect that shit. (laughs) Cause I'm gonna, because it's, I think it's hard for women to have sex if they don't feel like it. It's not a skill they, they have generally. Men have it, that's just different. We have different sexual skills. Men can fuck whatever, we don't care. We'll fuck you when, if we don't like you, everybody knows that. But <laughs> we'll fuck you even if we don't feel like fucking you. Even if we're not hard, like, I'll fuck you, give me a second, I'll find a way. We don't care, we'll fuck it things. We'll fuck a rusty keyhole nailed to a donkey's ass. We don't give a shit. We're, we are jizz on demand, we just have no, we don't care. Women have another skill, which is that they can decide whether or not to have sex with their minds, which is amazing to me. Women can decide not to fuck in the middle of fucking. That is so weird to me that they can just stop because it's some other shit that distracted them. If I'm fucking you, you could show me a picture of you cutting my mom's head off. 
And I'll be like, well. Hmm. As soon as I come, we're going to have a talk about that picture. <laughs> Yo, you know, it's all right. I'm going to start with the sad part first. Right. The sad part is he, Louis C.K. got caught up in some bullshit. Yeah, man. And the, I mean, sad part not for him, just for the situation community. in general, yeah. for the community in general. Uh, the second thing is this special had a different feel because it's been a while since I heard it and then I rewatched it and there's so many masturbation jokes in it that yeah. I'm just like, holy shit. It's dark, man. Yeah, like it's super dark and it just got darker yeah, with the man. news around the whole shit. Dude, he, I, I genuinely think that comics uh, reveal who they are if they're really good. Um, and I don't think he ever hid that that was a thing that he was into. Um, yeah. And I think people were very aware of it. Um, I think that too many people in the community knew about it and didn't talk about it and didn't address it with him. Um, I think he did a shitty job of correcting it afterward. I don't. I still don't think he's done it. Um, my biggest beef is that this is fucking exceptional writing yeah. that he does over and over again. And currently he's performing again and he's yet to address it, mm. which tells me that he hasn't been willing to yet or he's delaying it, but it can't be from a lack of talent. Right. He's very much capable of deep analytical thought in a way that's funny and respectful if he wants to. Yeah. And he's in a situation now that calls that, that needs that to happen, and he's yet to do it. Um, I think that I, I, I am of the opinion that there is room for him to do stand-up. I don't think that he's done any way near enough to warrant that uh, that return yet. Um, and I and I think that if he's going to before he does anything else, he needs to address that, whether it be um, in in writing, whether it be directly to the people that he uh, had an issue with, and especially at some point on stage, his writing is too good for him to continually perform and work on other material and not address the biggest the biggest elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, so now we got that part out the way. Now let's talk about the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the fucking jokes. Okay. What is it that you think Louis C.K. does well? Um, I think that he is probably uh, the best person I've seen at uh, explaining frustrating moments um, that we live that are minutia, uh, that are things that you kind of grind through and you don't realize where you down. He never talks to me about, from what I've seen, he doesn't talk about major things in his life. He talks about minor things that grind, um, and, he, and he, he, he covers them incredibly well. Like, the divorce isn't what grinds him. It's the, the fact that he's taking her on a date to fix the relationship. It's the, like, he has a bit about, um, with his daughters, he talks about, like, the ripping of the doll head off yeah. or... Uh, the vacation being walking around the car when he puts yeah, it in. Yeah, the fuck. It's, it's those like little moments that like when I when I think about them in real life, I'm like they did fucking hurt, and you kind of deal with it because it alone isn't a big thing, but the accumulation of all those little moments wear you as a man. Right. And he highlights those things better than anyone I've seen. Yeah, that was one of the things that I was really looking at is the comedians that could make so much out of nothing yeah right like out of and by nothing i mean that minutiae like that that little thing like they'll look at this paper clip and come up with the reason why this is funny or yeah. or, or tell you that this paper clip is funny convince you that it's funny yeah. um by comparison i feel like we're going to talk about this next stand-up is michael shea matters 
And um, I guess he has kind of like an opposite view. Like, I don't yeah. think he deals in the minutiae. He deals in the grander pictures and then makes it small. I agree. Which, which was pretty interesting. Um, let me get to the spot on this special. Not just gun control. Not just, not just gun control. Brought up a lot of other shit, too. Homophobia. Mm-hmm. A lot of homophobia in this country that needs to be addressed. Let's do it right now. <laughs> awesome. I'm not homophobic. I don't, I'm not homophobic, but I don't judge people that, that are homophobic because I don't know your life. I can't tell you what to be afraid of. Maybe you got some real spooky gay guys in your neighborhood that I don't know about. <laughs> Maybe you had a gay ghost hide in your closet when you was a kid and you... Jump out and tickle you. I don't know the fuck you went through. <laughs> None of my business. I don't know exactly what gay guys do. I haven't read the brochure. <laughs> but tickling's gotta be the scariest of them. If I had any fears, it would be a gay guy tickling me. Because if you tickle me, I'm gonna laugh. <laughs> now, how am I supposed to tell you I don't like it? <laughs> and what if I do like it? What's that mean? Now we go together? <laughs> we gotta go get gay married? <laughs> I gotta explain our son how we met. Dad, how'd you meet Dad? Well, I was sitting at the bar, mad straight. And... <laughs> I was straight as fuck, for real. All of a sudden, your dad came up behind me and was like, Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. And then my dick moved, and now you're here. <laughs> That's the story of the birds and the birds, son. <laughs> Is that homophobic? Maybe. Does that make me a homophobe? I don't know. I don't think so. I think we're all, as adults, we all have little things that we got to get over. You might not be homophobic. You might not be racist but maybe you got some fucked up views on something. And if you're not honest about it, how are you ever gonna get better? If I'm not able to say an honest thing, how am I supposed to get past that? Like I just, I just recently stopped using the word tranny because a trans friend of mine told me that how much it hurts. She was like, that, that really bothers me when you say that. It's a very hurtful term. I was like, what? Tranny? How the fuck is tranny hurtful? I just added a Y. It's <laughs> a fucking Y. What's so hurtful about a Y? She was like, well, how would you like it if I called you Blackie? <laughs> <laughs> well played, tranny. Well played. That's pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I've been accused of being homophobic, I have, in an interview, I, just for being honest. You gotta stop accusing people just for being honest. That's a teaching moment. You know what I'm saying? You can school me. Don't, don't just call me something just because I said some shit you didn't like. That's all I'm trying to say. I've been accused. In an interview, somebody asked me, what would I do if I had a gay son? And I just answered honestly. I was like, yo, if I had a gay son, I'd probably be sad. But I'd also be sad if I had a straight daughter. 
I just don't want anybody to fuck my kid. I just... <laughs> I just don't want my kid penetrated, boy or girl. I don't... I don't want some dude showing up at my house in a tuxedo, like, hey, I'm here to fuck his son, and I brought him this corsage. Uh... <laughs> I don't even have any kids, because I'm mad pro-choice, but if I did, <laughs> and... You gotta do more than march sometimes. I don't have any kids. But if I was a father, I feel like every man instinctively just has this need to protect their family from dicks. <laughs> Boy, girl, doesn't matter. You just gotta keep dicks away from the <laughs> Instinctively, I just wanna keep dicks away from my family. The longer I can keep dicks out of my family, I feel like the better dad I am. Is that weird? I, I, I feel that way. I feel like I'm gonna be that kind of parent. My daughter asked me, Dad, can I go to the, can I go to the party? I'm like, is there gonna be dicks at that party? <laughs> Don't see any locked doors. I'm like, what y'all doing down there? Any dicks down there? <laughs> no, Dad, we're just doing drugs. All right, cool. <laughs> what kind of drugs? Weed. All right, no crack. I know, Dad. Why? Because crack leads to sucking dick. That's right, crack leads to sucking dick. No dicks in this family. <laughs> I, love, I love that bit. It was, a, it, was, it was an interesting way to look at, at, uh, at a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like, it's almost like the inverse of what Louis C.K. does. Right. Which I found interesting in this matchup, where it's like you got one guy that makes little things big, and one guy that make big things little. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? He makes a huge topic relatable, makes it something. He he gets something that's a worldwide issue and brings it to your home. Yeah. For sure. Um, also touching on uh, what we talked about before, exceptionally shot special, by the way. It looks beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah huge thing. Uh, one thing I didn't like uh, about this, which is a decision I made because of this, I hated how much he held the mic stand. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I didn't have one during mine. Yeah. Because I have the same habit. I thought, yeah, I thought it was like his, like, uh, it's a crutch. Yeah, his crutch. Yeah. yeah, he felt uncomfortable because it was a thing. It's a moment. I get it. Mm -hmm. And he hold on, he held on to it a ton. And I guarantee you, if it's not there, he's fine. He doesn't use it. It's just mm -hmm. that because it's an option, he used it and he overused it. I thought. Yeah. Well, I, it, it it feels like it was there on purpose though, just because of the height of it, like it was almost there as a crutch on purpose. I would bet money that uh, it's something that he would not need. I would feel that if you gave him the option now after he looked at it, he would say no. Uh, that would be my guess because almost every single. It's going to be my goal to find out. I'm, yeah, I'm right? going to have to. I'm going to send him 600 DMs till he answers that shit. <laughs> yo, did, yo did, did you have that mic there on purpose? The stand beat, was it there? <laughs> oh, um, you mentioned something about earning a one liner, like in the middle of the joke, like that. What, what does that mean? What do you mean by earning it? I think that, that Louis C.K. had a piece where um, he mentioned, fuck, what was it? It was similar to his, in the middle of his bid, he did the, like, in the middle of the bid, he said that thing about, like, I'm mad pro-choice, you gotta do more than March sometimes. Right. That was, like, a one-liner that yeah. was injected into the, the, the joke. Yeah. Um, damn. I, I thought I heard you say that you had to work for those. Um, I, def I think there's, I think that you need to earn the right to tell stories by using one-liners. I think that every story needs one-liners within it to make it move within a stand-up structure. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember the earning 
All right, one-liner. cool. I might have imagined that it wasn't uh, a million. Maybe I said it, but yeah. I don't remember the context. Yeah. So, which special do you prefer? Uh, of these two, it's close. Um, I'm going to vote Che. Yeah. Um, being real, just because I refuse to believe that it's going to be two Boston guys in the finals of this brass. <laughs> that just bothers the fuck out of me. As much as I love both of these, I just can't have that. You can't have both yeah, Boston guys? I can't, I can't Just on it. the strength of that. Just off of that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, me. I, I think that one of the things that I enjoyed more about about Chase, yeah. uh, because that was actually my selection also. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not because it's a... It, it Actually, it stopped being about funny. Because I think both of them are funny. So yeah. I had to go like, like both of them are extremely phony, phony. See the, the, the inner Dominican? I'm telling you, bro. El campesino se me sale. So both of them are funny. Both of them are extremely funny. So going beyond that, and then they have that inverse structure where they, you know, one of them makes small things big, the other one makes big things small. And I had to go to my deciding factor was uh, new concepts. Okay. And, and Michael Che had concepts in this that. I've never heard of in my life. You know what I mean? Like just uh, from from this uh, about um, about the keeping dicks away from your family. Okay. Uh, to to do this whole setup about don't smoke crack because it brings a dick to the family. That right. shit was like it's a concept that I hadn't heard in any other special. Yeah. Um. He had the shit about uh, uh, Black Lives Matters is like one of the basis for the jokes, and then it, it the punchline on it was uh. Next year for 9-11, he's going to wear a shirt that yeah. says all buildings matter. Right, right, right. Yo, bro, that shit gets me every fucking time. Like, and, I, and I've heard, I've watched this at least three times now. So it's like these new interesting concepts that I never heard of. Um, and, the, and and since he's going on to another round, I'm going to play the other bit because that's another concept I wasn't used to. And when he ran that, I could not stop laughing. It was about the white girls. Okay, okay. So, yeah, the hat joint. <laughs> yeah, so Michael Che is moving on to the next round. Yes, indeed. And he's gonna have to go against a heavyweight opponent. Yeah, huh? man, Good luck heavyweight opponent. Cause elephant in the room. We about so. to get into that right now. And uh, thank God, Pryor ain't from Boston, right? There you go. There so you go. <laughs> let's move to elephant in the room. Cause I don't want to just play two back to back Michael Shea pieces. <laughs> and um, Patrice O'Neal is uh, he's this is probably my favorite stand up of all time. Yeah. This, so as uh, the special or the the, the special him himself. Okay. The special. This special in general is probably just like my favorite special of all time. That's like it's strong. Rock like on. it's like I've I've watched this shit like literally I could watch it back to back to back. Like I could watch it weekly pretty That's much. Like it's wow. one of those shits that just fucking I don't know what the fuck it was about him or if it was the trauma of watching this. I watched this shit for the first time maybe a year or two ago. Yeah. Right? Oh man. You- so I watched, this is the first shit I ever seen from him. My boy just put it on. Like, like literally, it was like some shit we stumbled upon on YouTube. Yeah. And boom, we're watching it. Me and my boy, we fucking crying, bro. We're crying. And then I'm like, yo, we got to look up more of his shit. Boom, oh, Google his hurts. name. And it's just like death. I was that like, hurts. oh, my God. <laughs> yo, that shit was the worst, bro. Uh, so let me go yeah, to his bit. incredible, B. I love this special, for sure. This, will this one? Yeah, yeah, this shit rocks. Um, Where are we going to go? Let's go here. That's what men are. We, I mean, being with one woman, I mean, for real ladies, if you just said thank you to your man for being faithful, you just go, thank you, man. Thank you for fighting. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, damn. 
And if, you, if he told his friends that you thanked him for fighting hard and not cheating, his friends would be like, what? what? Like, they would look at you like you was amazing. It's simple. Men like to fish. And sport fishing is different from catching fish for food. You just get it, you get it, you catch it, and you, you know, you, you show your friends. Because <laughs> you want them to know that you, you can catch fish. You take a couple of pictures so you can show people the fish that you have the ability to catch. And then you release it back into the water. But a lot of women in here, you have boyfriends or husbands, you a fish that jump back on the boat. <laughs> and just was like flapping, looking at me like. Hi, uh, I was wondering if you're gonna be fishing here again next week, like. Yeah, for other fish. Get off my boat. <laughs> Is that how you treat all the fish? You'd be like, oh, God damn. <laughs> nope, I'm sorry, sweetie. You're the last fish I ever wanted to be with. Now you stuck. Stuck with the last fish who was loving you and fighting hard to be on your boat. Then she got comfortable. And now she, instead of doing this, she's like, so we've been together for like a year now, why do you still have a boat? You'd be like... <laughs> so what you trying to say, I can't catch fish no more? Why do you need to catch a fish? <laughs> because if I lose my ability to catch fish, then you're not gonna find me sexy no more. So you gotta smell fish on me so that you know I can catch fish so you can act right. <laughs> 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 That's like guys, you meet your girl, she was a hoe. Like had whole like she big old booty and this and that. You gotta let her do that. Don't start trying to frump her up and get her fat and get her foul. Cause that's why you like her. I don't want no woman that no other guys trying to fuck. I don't want a woman that I can send to the store at two in the morning. <laughs> nobody's gonna try to rape her. Like I go, go get some bread at three in the morning. Hey, cut through the alley, bitch, cause. <laughs> cause I talk to the junkies. They don't want it. They ain't got, they don't like it. <laughs> oh God, yo, this, this dude is fucking great, bro. Oh man. What? It's so much about this that like, so right off the bat, I feel that uh, there's a very uh, similar willingness to dive into the minutia that you find a lot from comics, I think, from Boston and from that era. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence that him, Bill Burr, and Louis C.K. all kind of came up together. Um, and obviously their points of view are what separates them and makes them unique and special. Um, but I, I just love seeing uh, their willingness to kind of cover these topics uh, and the depth that they go into is beautiful. Um, talking about the uh, the visual before, this is an incredibly funny special that I think would have been far funnier today um, if shot differently. They never, not once, do a facial shot. And this is one of the most expressive comics I've seen. 
not one tight shot on his face mm. the whole freaking hour. That's an interesting call out. You know, so this guy's like he sells jokes hard. Yeah. Um. So he has brilliant writing, and then he's gonna give you a full uh, act out with facial expressions, and they never show it not once. The yeah. closest you get is from like about belly button up. Yeah. You know that that's an that's a loss. Like we we missed out on something that could have been even more uh, captured even more beautifully. Um, and with that said, still shot well, still shot with uh, in a beautiful setting, but it was shot with the standard with the traditional shots. the traditional shots, yeah, yeah. This like this exact special shot today on Netflix or HBO or Comedy Central, ten times better because yeah. they would have had angles that would have highlighted what makes him special. Um, so yeah, uh, dope, dope, dope. Because he does mad subtle, like he has yeah. a bunch of subtle ticks. Yeah, like, like his, his eye face, movements yeah. is oh my goodness. He kills this stuff, yeah. and we we see it, but we could have seen it more. It could have yeah, been like the whole clearer, screen, like, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, with that said, he still sells the joke so well. Um, I can only imagine what it would have been like in the room for these type of things. Uh, but yeah, beautiful writing. I I love the way that he finds correlations to some of the like weirdest out of the box things that I've ever seen. Whenever he covers a topic, like relating, you know, uh, dating and. Uh, making sure that you're still wanted uh, by your woman to fishing is such yeah. a dope correlation. Um, and, and, and making that something that guys can uh, can agree with very quickly and that women can get on board with very quickly. Um, I think he is the comic that I've seen that's regularly most comfortable dividing the room before bringing them back together. Yeah. Um, he over and over again made sure to split people up first. Yeah, he's like, this is the topic. I want you on one side and you on the other. I want you to disagree from jump. Yeah, fucking and, yeah. vaginal terms yeah, is exactly. one of the funniest. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. no, was it? He, there's one dude that he calls in the crowd. He's like, uh, science face, <laughs> yo, <laughs> that shit, yo. And then like he'll do that. He literally does it on purpose to create that tension, um, because it's it's tension seat to seat. He's very aware that most of these are dates. Yeah. He's doing it purposely. I want each couple to freaking feel tension in the seat. And then I'm going to bring you back together anyway. Yeah. Like that's incredible and it, it it's a challenge to do it. I don't think uh I don't I don't think anyway near as many comics uh make an effort to do it enough. Um and I don't think I can't think of a single comic that does it as often per hour. Mm. I I I thought one thing that's very interesting you said like the the sports fishing thing is very relatable and women can easily get on board and I feel like part of that is is that he makes this subtle distinction at the very beginning right he says sports fishing is not like fishing for food yeah right so it's like if you are like I guess from the woman's perspective it's like you, he's not talking about you if it's not you it's not talking about you because he's yeah. talking about sports fishing he's not talking about fishing for food yeah so like immediately creates this distinction that allows. You know, women to jump on board because I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of woman. Woman, you see, <laughs> there's a lot of women that know who that friend is that yeah. jumps right back on the boat when it was just a sports fish, and they're just like, "So Amen. what's going on?" You know what Amen. I mean? Um, so let's check out this next Michael Shea piece. I feel like I always mispronounce homie's name too. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know if it's Shea or Che. I'm gonna go with Che. That's what I've been saying, but who knows? It might be something else, right? You know. Um, let me see what's. Netflix has the worst scrubber, by the way. It's, like, terrible. I think Hillary Clinton's going to win because, you know, she's a white lady. White women take whatever the fuck they want. 
So Brooklyn, I didn't see that shit coming. It's the wrong thing to be wrong about. Oh, man. You know how dangerous Brooklyn used to be before white women took that shit? Brooklyn used to be the scariest place in the world, man. I was terrified of Brooklyn. I used to listen to rappers sing about that shit. They were so proud. I'm like, don't ever come to Brooklyn. I'll fucking kill you if you ever walk through Brooklyn. I'm like, this is a dope song, but I'm never going to Brooklyn. <laughs> I was terrified of Brooklyn. All of a sudden, a bunch of rich white girls from Seattle was like, Brooklyn's mine's now. And then they just owned it. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn's mine's now. Just took it. Just took the scariest part of my childhood. I don't know how the fuck they did it. I think white girls killed Biggie. I think that was phase one. I think they shot Biggie and took Brooklyn away. <laughs> white women just take whatever the fuck they want, man. I've seen it. You know what a white girl could do? I've never seen anybody pull this shit off. A white girl could walk up to you drunk. She'll be drunk. Just walk right up to you at a bar and just take your hat off your head. <laughs> Put it on her head. And then just walk the fuck off with your property. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> that's just how that shit went for you. you just, nothing you can do about it. She needs your hat. She needs your hat to dance. <laughs> White girls need hats to dance. They can't dance without a hat. They can't dance without a hat, and they can't dance with their mouth closed. It's just two things they can't do. <laughs> White girls don't close their mouth when they dance. <laughs> White girls dance like they can't believe their legs are doing it. Look. <laughs> they'll take your hat if they need it. They'll just take that shit. It doesn't matter how gangster you think you are. They'll take that shit. It don't matter who you are. Don't feel bad. Anybody. You ever been somewhere and just saw a drunk white girl dancing around in a cop's hat? And you're like, how the fuck did you take a cop's hat? <laughs> He's got a gun. How'd you fucking take his hat? Only white women get away with that shit. You ever been somewhere and saw a drunk black dude dancing around in a cop's hat? <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday. <laughs> Come on, son, let me get your hat. My boy's getting married. <laughs> <laughs> we can't pull that off, man. Black guys can't pull that off. We're not that fearless. We're a little fearless, but we're not white girl fearless. White women are fearless. They're not scared of shit. White women rescue pit bulls for fun. They don't give a fuck about nothing. <laughs> you know how dangerous a pit bull is? If I seen a straight pit bull walk down the street, I wouldn't walk down that street anymore. A white girl, take that pit bull home, put a sweater on it. It's like, yeah, I know. Stop, I used definitely to win know tournaments. Him. Now his name is I know Nicole. a white girl with a pit bull for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's eating vegan treats out of some white lady's hand. <laughs> <laughs> if I was president, I'd have an all white girl army. That'd be my first line of defense. <laughs> ISIS? Send white women. <laughs> I'd build a Trader Joe's right in the middle of Syria. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Put up some Prosecco fountains. <laughs> Give me two summers. ISIS to be the first terror organization forced out due to rent increase. <laughs> I'll do it. 
I gentrified a fuck out of ISIS. Like, ISIS is mine now. <laughs> I live in downtown Syria. <laughs> <laughs> Syria used to be sketchy, but now it's pretty chill. <laughs> I got a soul cycle there. Give me your hat, Abdul. I want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's way for the tagline there. That was funny. Yeah, it's sharp, yo. It's smart. Like, it's smart. It's very, very smart. And I feel like he does these things where he presents it from a super, super... I don't know what the right word is for it. Like, layman's kind of yeah, language. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that lets you take these huge concepts and just be like, oh, I get it. I see, well, I see what gentrification is. No, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just in awe of this view, by the way. That looks freaking gorgeous. Uh, Greenpoint, uh, I believe this is where it was. Yeah, Greenpoint. Right? Greenpoint. Beautiful. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. They yeah. did amazing with the set. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love his ability to take really complex concepts and just make them so relatable and uh, and, and show the, the way it affects people on a day-to-day basis. Uh just like uh, earlier in this thing too, he has that whole thing with the like the gorilla thing too, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how like you wouldn't notice. Like just it's, it's dope. He, he's genuinely sharp as yeah, a writer. Like like that shit just killed every Harambe article I ever heard of in my life. <laughs> like it's like like literally I did not want to even hear. Like yeah. I've been dying for a person to mention a monkey to me so I could just be like, <laughs> if all the monkeys died, <laughs> how long would it take you to notice? <laughs> Freaking you know what I mean? So this brilliant. one, so this this matchup is on you because you heard my 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 Patrice O'Neal bias. So this one's all on you. So uh, this is this is something where um, there's two things that I would weigh. If you're asking me which is the funnier special and which one was performed better, I'm gonna lean slightly, but I'm gonna lean towards Patrice. Yeah. If you're asking me which is the better special as a product, I'm gonna lean towards Che. Ooh. I think it's better shot. I think the location's better. I think uh his topics um overall and his theme for the special I think are uh more ambitious than mm-hmm. what uh any of the three that we reviewed today were. Yeah. Um and he uh, unlike the other two are talented, so expectations were high because of their name. Um, but I like the fact that he kind of called out uh, expectations from the very beginning um, with the intro. I don't know if you recall it. Like yeah. he uh, literally has a voiceover saying, "Why aren't specials special anymore?" You know, talk about something real. And um, I think that that's a very important call out. I think that one of the negatives to the fact that we have all these avenues is that a few too many people got specials. And a few too many people shot specials that are funny but weren't ready for a special. Um, and there were too many hours out before they were they were they were fully ready. They weren't sharp. And he, um, with this special, I think called that out very very directly um, from the very beginning. Hey, hold me to this higher standard of the specials from before. This is an occasion when you're doing a special. It's in the fucking name. It's special. Yeah. It should mean something. It should. Either you're making your debut or you're making a specific point. In his case, he was trying to do both. Um, and I think that that's something that's been forgotten of late. Uh, and it's, it's one of the tough things that we're going to have to balance as a community, whereas we have all these avenues you could put out whatever you want almost whenever you want because someone will post it. Someone will host it. 
But in turn, we still have to hold ourselves to the standard of, yeah, but this shit better be good. And did, he did that. This is his first one-hour special, right? Correct. Okay, um, wow. A lot, of, a lot of people aren't aware. He had one of the uh, quickest trajectories in comedy. Um, the uh, When he got the, the SNL job, he had been doing stand-up maybe four years total. Ah. Um, he is not uh, someone that's done stand-up his whole life. He's born in 1983, um, so he's like 35 years old, and he's probably yeah. been doing stand-up right now maybe six years okay. total. Uh, very quick trajectory. Uh, um, I'm not sure if I can reveal the background. Um, like, I know a bit of his backstory. I don't know if he's we'll, like, we'll, said it publicly. We'll talk, we'll talk but it yeah. off the mic. Point being, though, is is that um, he, uh, he came from a different uh, career path that was also artistic-based. And um, after that didn't go the way he wanted it to, he um, learned a lot from it and applied it to how he approached comedy. And he was very uh, business-oriented, very focused on achieving certain goals and... Um, was probably more mature than the typical new comic. And on top of that, he's really fucking brilliant. So yeah. he was naturally talented at this thing. And uh, when it took off, um, people saw this super young, talented, good-looking kid that had the looks of a t- young 20-year-old, the talent of a 35-year-old, um, and the professionalism of that. Yeah. So that mixture allowed him to kind of perfect storm it and... Um, he got the initial SNL invite. He got it three years in. Then he got the uh, job at the Daily Show for a short amount of time. And then he uh, got rehired by SNL to do the weekend desk. Got it. And that happened in under four years of him doing comedy. And and before before you tell us which one you're going with, um, you mentioned something about like the jokes being ready. Um, yeah. So so basically, how how do you like how do you know when a joke is ready? Like when you look at a joke and, and you say like okay that joke maybe needs six six more months like some more workshopping. How do you know that that's the case when you hear sure. it like on set or like in a special? Yeah, there's a few things to that. Uh, one, um, let's uh, also being very clear. Uh, if you if you don't burn it, meaning if you don't put it on a special or something, I'll be I could rewrite jokes all day, and every yeah. comic feels that way. We can constantly add to the joke. Um, a joke is ready when. In my opinion, it's ready when, A, you as a comic feel that you dove as deep as you want into that topic. Um, so when I feel that a, that a, that a topic, when you, when, you met, when you start to joke and you don't go to the depth that I'm accustomed to from you, I'm going to assume that you didn't finish the joke um, and that you prioritize getting this out versus writing it properly and putting it out properly. And there's moments when you'll find that a joke isn't fully tailored. It's not fully polished, whether it's uh, it's too wordy. You'll find that sometimes with some comics. Like if I see a set-up punchline comic and all of his jokes all of a sudden feel longer to get to the laugh, I might question it. Um, if uh, if it's a topic that requires depth and you set up the, the premise but you don't go to the depth that you typically do, again, I might question the uh, the level of readiness of that joke. Um, to your point, you liked his ability of breaking down an incredibly complex topic and making it relatable. All those bits took like five to seven minutes, but they're consistent laughs throughout. And that thought is so well developed that even without the jokes, he can explain that argument yeah. in the bar. Yeah, and 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 he adds these like little little one liners, like yeah. kind of like it, like throughout the joke, almost almost as if like. It's a, it's a five, seven minute long joke and it starts right here. But then to keep the laughs consistent, yeah. he's like adding these little things that have nothing really to do with the, 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 the argument, the, the argument, but 
ad laughs in right. between. You know yeah. what I mean? At his core, he's just talking about something he believes in. Yeah. It just so happens that uh, I'm doing comedy, so I got to make you laugh throughout this. But yeah. don't get it twisted. He genuinely believes this shit. And yeah. he's trying to convince you of it. He just happens to have to make you laugh in the process. Yeah. But take out every laugh, and I still believe he would have the same conversation. Um, so when I, I'm, I'm always looking for that readiness of a joke. I'm looking to see that it's polished, that it's prepared. Um, and that the person is comfortable presenting it. And, uh, um, I, you know, mind you, everyone in the bracket from what I've seen has that here. Uh, it, you know, you're going to see that from this caliber of, of comic. Um, but you will see on occasion a comic that was forced into doing something um, that was uh, before it was ready. And because of that, you'll find that they use too many words to express a point because they didn't have the time to properly edit the writing of that joke. Or you'll see uh, a comic that, normally goes into more depth on a joke and didn't do it in this particular case or whatever the case may be and it, you'll feel it I, I i it's tough to explain um and by the same token the other end of it is true too you can wait too long to use a joke um you can have a joke that was perfectly written it's polished but um by the time the opportunity comes up to perform a special you no longer relate to that joke it no longer holds true to you because you've outgrown it you're not in the same place um so there's like jokes that I've done about my kids when my son was like a one-year-old where as a man and as a father, I'm not in that place anymore. So even though it's still funny, I can't perform it. I don't feel honest doing it. And it's and then by the same token, if I would have had this chance to shoot that five years ago, I would have done it and it would have been good and I would have been proud to show it and I still would be proud to show it. I just wouldn't be proud to perform it because I've outgrown it the other way. It's, it's become too polished and now it's, now it's almost spoiled. Mm, okay you know? i get it damn that's an interesting thing like it could get to the point where it's like okay that's completely done yeah like I'm, even I'm, though I'm it's it's not it. burned yeah it's, it's just not completely burned. It's just, done to me i can't rock it anymore yeah um yeah so so who's moving on to the finals i i, I gotta go with che on this i gotta say i'm surprised because by the same token looking at your bracket he would have lost in the first round to me yeah but I also feel like a overall I can't have two Boston dudes yeah. winning out here. I, just, I, I love I love y'all out there, but I'm, I'm a New York dude. He reps Les, so I gotta rock with Shay there. Uh, second, um, because we're talking about a uh, special, you're not mm -hmm. talking about an hour. If yeah. we're judging it on the hour, I would probably lean towards Elephant Yeah, exactly. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the whole finished the whole stand up finished special. I, I have to go with Shay. This is yeah. incredibly cinematic. The shots are done. The the staging is beautiful. Um, the way they capture his lines and know when to when the camera work needs to go into his face to see his full expressions are incredible. And on top of that, he did a damn good job. Yeah. Whereas I definitely think, like if I were to grade just him, he probably did an A minus. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think Elephant in the Room, his performance is an A, but the swing in quality of everything else is significant yeah. for what they achieved on. Uh, on Che's product here versus uh, Patrice's. Uh, they dropped the ball, I think, in terms of uh, the production, in terms yeah. of not gambling enough. And I guess it's important to note that these specials are only like four or five years apart. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that that's what, because that, that's weighted, right? Because now Michael Che goes on to Richard Pryor's Live in Concert. Right. And you have to put into context that Live in Concert was 1979. Right. You know what I mean? So Patrice O'Neill's special, you can say the ball was dropped because all the technology was there, all all the avenues were there. He wasn't an unknown act. He already right. had some kind of... Uh, he had hours He, he had a career done. going. He had, he had hours going. He was on TV already. Yeah. Like, everything was there for him to make a 
highly produced special. Yep. You know what I mean? Because even by comparison, okay, Kevin Hart's Seriously Funny and Elephant in the Room are from the same year, yeah. I think, or like a year apart or something like that. Yep. And that production value is much better. Yeah. So so I, I definitely, damn, I'm going to have to swallow my bias here. It's Michael <laughs> Shea. Like it's going to go you're, forward. You're asking me full product. And yeah, I have full to say product. That that holds weight. I, I think it's something that it, it's cinematic. I feel I feel like this is a special that's far more likely to uh, impress my mother. If I was to mm-hmm. randomly show a Dominican lady that barely uh, gets comedy yeah. that, of the, that's of this nature, she would find this more interesting. She right. would, uh, this is dope, and it would catch her attention. Um, this is something that highlights the fact that this is an artful performance. Yes, stand up at its core, it's you doing something at a club. I get that, but when you're doing a special, that's a that's a piece of art. That I'm creating and sharing. And that's not limited to just what the performance is on stage. Art is a collaboration. And the other people that collaborated on that part of the product didn't do the same amount of work that was done on Chase. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there was, to your point, the all the technology was available, but nobody at that time was still willing to gamble to the way they are now. Yeah. That's something that's definitely happened recently, maybe the last two to three years. But... Somebody had to do it, and yeah. that the opportunity was there. And this is on the cusp of the gamble, also. Exactly. It's not like this is from like right now. This right. is on the cusp of that gamble that you're speaking of. Yeah. So, so, so I guess that that also pushes it a couple notches yeah. up because it was kind of visionary in the sense that it's being done a little differently. Yeah, like there's so many little things. Like right off the bat, if you look, uh, just like the 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 work that they did on the set design, something small that so many specials are doing now because it adds so much production value is the mist. It's a stupid little thing, but it makes it look more cinematic. Mm. Look at the cha- look at both of the clips you showed me today. Yeah. Neither one of them add mist to the staging. Yeah. But it's something that if you go to rock shows, you go to hip-hop shows, they add mist to the room because it, it creates a cinematic feel. Someone decided to do that with stand-up because they realized, oh, shit, this is an equally important artistic performance, just as any other music show. Yeah. Why aren't we bringing this? You know, level you, of production you, value? you know what's mad funny because it, it incited a different feeling for me. It gave it kind of like a noir, we're in a bar feel. Okay. Which is the kind of comic that I see him as, like yeah, where yeah, he's yeah. giving you, he's giving you bar banter, like he's yeah. giving you shit that you can take the whole thing. And again, it's a big topic, made small made digestible that now you could use that in conversation yeah exactly. you know what i mean and like that the the, the whole the moody lighting that they use yeah. and, then, and then mixed with the mist gives it like this real noir feel that just kind of feels like okay here we are we're having a cigarette at this jazz club right yeah. now you know what i mean so yeah it's good interesting call out so I, I'm, I'm i'm gonna enjoy swallowing my bias here <laughs> and, I, and, and, I, and sending <laughs> patrice o'neill home on a good note and with that i challenge you to find a single special before 2016 that has mist in the air. Okay. I, I, I genuinely think you'll struggle to find that. Yeah, again, like like the one that immediately immediately comes to mind is no refunds, but it's not mist. It's just mad cigarette smoke right. everywhere. <laughs> but that <laughs> and, and it's funny, cool. if you watch it though, it adds the same kind of like yeah. value to it because that one is just Doug Stanhope is just on stage with a stool, but he 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 does this beer bottle collection yeah, that he yeah, likes yeah. to have on screen. You know what I mean? Where it's just like it's kind of dressing the scene because yeah. that's like his 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 angle on it. And then he's smoking a bunch of cigarettes, so he's just like walking across a a, a, a smoky room. You yeah. Know? So find the special before 2016. Let's take yeah. a look at that. Now I'm gonna be paying attention to that shit. See, and you'll notice it's something that's uh 
it's almost going to become standard and they're going to have to find new tricks now. Mm -hmm. But you'll see that a lot of people have added that to almost every special shot since. Yeah, because tam Tambourine had something similar tambourine to that, right? Tambourine has it, yep. Yeah. Uh, almost everything that you'll see shot after 2017 will have it. Because mm -hmm. they'll be like, oh, it's, it's such a small thing, but it significantly improves the production value of what you're shooting. Nice, nice. All right, yo, Gasser, thank you. Yo, Egg, I appreciate man. it. Real pleasure being yo, here, brother. Yo, real pleasure having you, man. I feel like we covered a lot of ground, a lot of ground for comedians that are starting out now, a lot of grounds for artistic people just starting out, period, which was the dopest part of the conversation because it feels like the conversation really went beyond comedy. You yeah, know what I'm saying? I, 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 I uh, hope no one's mad. I don't think I was funny. They were parenting tips. Yeah, man. Parenting tips. Like, bro. <laughs> like, like, life advice. Yeah, bro. Life advice. There we you, go. You told us about your diary. Who there knew that go. niggas from East New York had diaries? Hell yeah. Hell like, yeah. They, I call it a journal, though. Don't call <laughs> me a diary, all right? <laughs> yeah, later, bro. <laughs> Peace.